When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. Morena and good morning New Zealand. It's 9.03 on SENZ. Uh, Ian Smith with you till 12 o'clock. And uh, first of all, my sympathies, uh, really, our show sympathies go to uh, you people in Auckland who are not only doing it really tough, uh, with COVID level four, now uh, you've been thrown out and mass storms out in the west, in particular with homes being evacuated, etc. I mean, it's just a terrible situation, and uh, uh, we really do have our sympathies going out to you, and uh, hope the situation gets gets a lot better uh, quickly, very, very quickly indeed. Not good. Uh, this morning we have uh, Glenn Phillips on very shortly from uh, the Caribbean, where he's uh, playing for the Barbados Royals in the CPL. Phil Totorangi. Uh, will be with us just uh, after 9.30. It's our golfing update for this week. So Michael Jones, what an honour to have him on the show. Yes, it's official. Moana Pacifica are in the draw. It's all go next year. How far advanced uh, is Moana Pacifica as they look to make their debut in this competition? Morgan Harper, who uh, is a young fellow uh, out of uh, Narawahia, uh, and he is playing at centre for Manly. And they're playing pretty well at the moment. We'll catch up with him uh, around about uh, 10.20 as we make our way th- through the morning, and then we look uh, and chat to a really interesting young lady, Courtney Duncan, who is defending her uh, world motocross title at the moment over in the UK and in Europe. Very, very delightful person to speak to. I can uh, inform you about that. Busy morning, busy Tuesday, very busy. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. So there they stood, resplendent and all white, an epic contest in store, one for the ages. At stake, a handsome purse and a glistening trophy to hold above the head. This had all the ingredients, the culmination of a 12-week marathon, elimination heats one by one falling off the pace, the final test over five long, stressful hours and two separate, entirely different courses. And now they numbered just three. Every second counting, following the rules to the letter of the law, no stumbles, no hiccups, so hard it can be to make up lost ground. The audience was captivated, fans and families in the rafters, millions on television. This indeed is the ultimate pressure test. And yes, yes, you could literally cut the air with a knife. Literally, this drama had all the elements, sweat, tears, despair, fear, cuts and plasters, the odd tumble, indeed a rocky road to the finish line. There could only be one winner, one champion with that sweet taste of success on the buds for the other hapless duo, just the realisation of failure. 
As the clock ticked down to zero, it was finally done. Exhausting, energy sapping, but entirely thrilling. It indeed lived up to its billing, and there he stood. Chocolate-stained uniform, prize money in pocket, trophy held aloft, a beaming smile for the generations. He had reached his childhood dream, straight out of a Roy of the Rovers comic book. Justin had become Master Chef 2021 by the barest of margins. Take a breath. Uh, 9.06 here on SENZ, uh, and I'm pleased to say we have uh, made contact with uh, Glenn Phillips. Now, Glenn's having a heck of a time uh, playing T20 cricket around the world. He's probably one of the hottest properties with bat in hand, uh, and at the moment uh, he is making his mark in the Caribbean uh, with the Barbados Royals in the CPL. Uh, Glenn Phillips, good morning, uh, New Zealand time to you. Uh, How are you feeling today? I'm feeling good today. Hopefully we can actually stay on the line. Last, uh, last time. Yeah, that'll be shambles, cool. But uh, hopefully we got this one today. Yeah, we've got it sorted. Don't worry about that. You sound great. Uh, look, Glenn, uh, <laughs> a great knock, uh, uh, your recent one, 56 not out, in a non-Glenn Phillips type way, really. Uh, it was a very conservative type approach to a, a successful run chase, and uh, I, I would imagine that that was quite satisfying. Yeah, knowing that I can do a different role uh, depending on what we have to do in the game, um, is, is always confidence building, especially going into a World Cup where pitches could potentially be a little bit slow. So knowing that I have that in the arsenal, uh, if, if we do lose a couple of wickets, is always a bit of a good confidence boost. So you've had uh, three games in the competition, mixed success at this point, but uh, um, how, how busy is the schedule and how hard have you had to main- work hard on maintaining your fitness? Um, well, we've had the schedule out for a little while, so knowing that we're going to have three games on the trip, um, you try to maximise your recovery between each day. Um, having a couple of night games really helped, um, but the, the afternoon game was a different story where, where the heat really uh, it gets you when you haven't been in there for a little while. So I think regardless of how fit you are, um, it's, it's one of those things where only being out there can actually prepare you for it. So. I think knowing uh, what it's going to be like coming into the next couple of day games is is a bit more uh, comforting, knowing what I have to do hydration-wise and, and fitness-wise leading into it. So Dan Vittori is your coach in Bar- um, Barbados. You're batting at uh, a four. Uh, what, what do you like about that particular role? Because uh, we normally associate Glenn Phillips perhaps more in the top three. Yeah, I think uh, opening has, has been... Uh, the most success I've had over here at this point in time. I'm leading over the couple of years with the Talawas. But um, of recent times with the, the BCs and then also over in England, I've found a nice little rhythm there at four or at five um, where the game is set out so nicely for you when you come in, whether it's set up uh, well by the openers and, and whoever's at three or whether you come in and have to potentially give yourself a little bit of a chance and rescue the innings. But regardless of uh, that situation, everything is set out very specifically in front of you. So being able to read the game and and make a game plan on the spot, um, I think has actually helped my cricket overall. Um, especially leading into the World Cup, I feel like I've now got the skills here where if New Zealand ever needed me to open, I could do that. But if they need me to bat in the middle order, I can now provide both the, the power and the ability to work it around if I have to, depending on the situation. So I've, I've been really enjoying it for at this point in time, and I think that's probably where I'm going to be best suited for, for this Royals team and the balance of the side.
Glenn, when you jump from franchise to franchise, I think one of the things you have to get used to is leadership style, coaching styles, uh, and make adjustments there. So what's the, the Daniel Vittori, Jason Holder type uh, hierarchy like? I've actually really enjoyed this one, to be fair. Um, Dan's very chilled, and so is uh, Jason. So we don't really have many team meetings or anything like that. Everything's on the individual to be able to do the preparation they need. Um, sometimes you can uh, get into a stage where there's almost too many team meetings and guys come along and they drag their feet and you've maybe only got, you know, two or three guys listening. So I think from from this perspective, it's it's been a nice, fresh, uh, fresh feeling to be able to come in and do the preparation that I need personally to be ready, but knowing that everybody else is doing their, their own thing as well and just having the trust that um, each individual is going to come up and know what they need to do on the day and perform. So I think that a relaxed approach also brings that trust element into it so the guys can perform as freely as possible. Glenn, you've come out of England, of course. Uh, you uh, were a participant in the 100 competition. Now, I'm really keen to talk to you about this because uh, it's a format which is new to the game of cricket. It's a variation on what you've been playing. How did you find the 100 comp? There were a lot of massive differences, obviously being able to bowl 10 balls from one end um, and then the fact that one bowler could bowl 10 balls in a row if they chose to. Um, I think it's going to be the same as any competition that, that starts out as um, there's going to be a few kinks to be worked out. Players will understand their roles better. The strategy side of things will come into it more. Uh, and the, like, for example, whether we took on a bowler, if they were going to bowl 10 in a row, or whether you decided that the the risk wasn't really worth it. But I think, for an example like that, uh, anybody that bowled 10 balls in a row, their second set of five actually really went the distance. So I think things like that will get uh, worked out over the, the years to come. And being able to deal in balls as opposed to overs was definitely a big change. It's actually helped coming back into T20 cricket, knowing that, you know, two runs a ball is definitely gettable. So bringing it back to overs, understanding that, say, 36 balls you 72 runs of those 36 balls is actually more doable than we realize 920 uh 912 sorry here uh on tuesday morning here we're talking to glenn phillips of course who's uh, in the caribbean uh play in the, in the cpl uh do you think it would catch on here the hundred is it crowd reliant do you need big crowds i think the way england did it was actually really good the the crowds uh, got rowdy. the djs got around it it was very much an exciting um, formats of play uh, and I think they managed to adjust things as they went um, especially from the the music and entertainment factor um, the the DJs got louder and faster and, and the music type actually brought the crowd into it a bit more and g'd them up so I think that had a big part to play in why it was so successful um, and I think it could definitely work in New Zealand especially with our smaller grounds and having people based around the boundaries on on banks and things like that means that it can be very family friendly and actually engage the crowd a lot more. Okay, from uh, the Caribbean, you head to the Rajasthan Royals, uh, which will be exciting for you. Um, you know, that's uh, a team which is, uh, I think, uh, currently fifth on the table. Um, what are you looking forward to about that? I think you've taken Joss Butler's place, is that right? Yeah, uh, well, I suppose that's what the media has been saying. I'm not exactly sure whose place of are taken as I think there's a couple of changes that may potentially be made. Um, I'm not necessarily in the loop with that, but yeah, as far as I'm concerned, um, coming in for Joss, that's very big shoes to fill. So um, having guys like Livingston in there, obviously Chris Morris, it's going to be really good to get around those guys and, and learn as much as I can from them. Um, 
you know, regardless of how many tournaments you've played, there's always more to learn. So being in the in the changing room with guys like that, I'll, I'll try and pick their brains as much as possible. So, um, And then also getting to work with Kumar again will, will be extraordinary. Right, then, uh, of course, uh, the big goal uh, nationally anyway, or internationally, is uh, the T20 World Cup. Uh, look, uh, on the back of the kind of cricket New Zealand squads have been playing, albeit in different forms, I would imagine there's a, a, an air of confidence. You, you wouldn't have been around most of the blokes for quite some time, but the field would be quite confident, wouldn't it, surely? Yeah, absolutely. Um, coming off the World Test Championship winners is giving the guys a massive buzz, knowing that we now have almost the... Not, not necessarily the right to, to win something like that. Everybody has the right to win it. But the, the confidence to know that we should be able to take something like that out coming into the finals for the last two World Cups, um, there's absolutely no reason that the boys that we have out in the plane 11 or in the 16 for the squad uh, have the capacity to be able to bring that trophy home. So now that we've had a little taste of what it's like to bring that trophy home, or a trophy home, um, I definitely think that we know we have a better strategy of how to go about those winning ways and, and uh, actually maybe lift another trophy for New Zealand. So what do you assess, uh, uh, I'm not sure if you've spoken to Gary Stead, but your role in the in the Black Caps drive towards winning this title? I definitely think it's going to be based around that middle order, um, but I feel like for me it's trying to be as versatile as possible with the need me to bowl overs, bat in the middle, bat at the death, um, even if they need me to open. Um, or, or even keep if, if things come to that stage. Hopefully not, though. But, um, you know, being able to be as versatile as possible for them, I think, will be key. Um, knowing that we've got a lot of guys in specialist roles, um, hopefully my, my specific role will allow me to adjust to whatever is needed on the day, especially in, in the UAE where pitches could potentially be slow or could really come through and, and scores of 200-plus could be going on the board. So... Having that uh, flexibility is probably key for me. It's, you're a good bloke to talk to because there'll be a lot of young uh, kids uh, who are all-rounders trying to find their way in the game. Uh, and, and, you know, you, you've uh, got all three disciplines which you, which you can partake in. You can bat, you can, uh, you can bowl, and you can wicket-keep as well. So how do you split your time in terms of preparing for those three disciplines just in case? Um, in the end, when I was younger, I, I did a lot of work keeping-wise. So I've based my entire keeping career now off what I what I did when I was, you know, 14 years old. So I haven't really worked on my keeping ever since. So what I've effectively said, you know, whatever team has me, this is what you've got and I'll do the job. Um, but my passion has always lied with my bowling. Well, has always been with my bowling. So I really work hard on that as much as possible. My batting being my number one skill is obviously takes precedence. But um, in terms of keeping, my, my philosophy has always been best when fresh. Um, but to be able to um, still keep at that level, I think fielding has a lot to do with it. And if you can be a fielder with gloves on, uh, you become that versatile player where they can either use you in the field or behind the stumps. So, um, and then bowling coming into it as well, just just adds that element of being able to give more to the team if possible. Um, and I think that's always been my thing is trying to get involved and actually be able to make a play in the game, whether it's batting, bowling, fielding or, or keeping. So, Glenn, you're still a, you know, a pretty young man. You've got a lot of cricket experience under your belt already, but you're still young enough to be versatile and, and fairly open-minded about your thinking for the future. You've had a taste of test cricket. Uh, where do you feel, uh, how do you feel, and where do you um, envisage the future in terms of the Red Bull game for you? I definitely love to play uh, Red Bull cricket for 
a little while. Um, you know, obviously my most specialising for forte is uh, white ball cricket, but um, I've also enjoyed red ball cricket quite a lot recently. Um, especially being able to bowl more. Um, I think when it comes to making that test side, I do need to be able to offer something more than just with the bat. Um, especially with how good um, our test or our test match squad is looking. Um, so in order to be able to push my way in there, I'm, I'm going to have to provide something, whether it's being able to go over the subcontinent and offer that third spinner role, um, as well as with the bat. I, I think that's probably the only way I see myself getting in there with the strength of our side. So it's definitely on the horizon for me, and I'm trying to push my case in there. But, you know, credit to the guys that are already in there. They, they're doing such a good job and... and bringing home the World Test Championship was just uh, one little small taste of it. Glenn, the other option, I guess, as you say, is to, is to uh, really concentrate on the white ball form of the game. In other words, become a bit of a gun for hire, to be fair, and that's the role that Colin Munro has um, assigned for himself. Uh, uh, do you speak or have you spoken much to Colin Munro about his lifestyle and, and you know chasing that white ball, literally chasing it around the world? Um, I think for him, he's in, at the point in his career where, um, you know, he's he's got a young family and he's got to do what he's got to do for, for his own first professional career. And, you know, everybody's going to make different decisions. So it's not necessary that I agree or disagree with it. He's got to do what he needs to do for, for his own lifestyle. And But he is actually a great example of it. He, he does it really well. He knows how to go from tournament to tournament and perform under pressure. Um, you know, and, and he's also had that international uh, exposure so he's got so much experience under his belt to be able to do that um and you know hopefully for him if he can go around the traps for a couple of years and, and earn some good cash he can set his family up for um a good start transferring out of out of cricket when he decides to pull pins so um you know i wish him the best of luck in any decisions that he makes well we wish you the best of luck too uh glenn phillips uh carry on your great work you've had uh, a heck of a Time in 2021 already, uh, establishing a real name for yourself. Stay uh, healthy, that's the first thing we say. Stay well, stay away from the virus and uh, continue uh, to make progress, mate. And uh, all the best too uh, in uh, the Rajasthan Royals and particularly, of course, when you join up with the Black Caps. Uh, that's a date we're all looking forward to. Awesome. Thanks, Millie. Cheers. Ben Phillips there, folks. Uh, he's uh, a young man going places with bat in hand and uh, hopefully he uh, does extremely well and makes a, a really good living himself for it uh, and makes that commitment when you're away from home uh, for that period of time that he has committed to uh, you need something to show for it at the end of the day 9.20 here on SENZ uh, when we come back uh, your calls and text would be great 88.33 uh, what's your, your subject for the day uh, let me think about it uh, Sophie Pascoe uh, bronze medal overnight uh, perhaps not so uh, good in terms of what Sophie was thinking. Josh Iwani uh, is uh, out of the Hurricanes and heading to the Chiefs. What about the future for Josh Iwani? And, and Moana Pacifica, we're going to talk to Sir Michael Jones. Is it a goer for you? Will it work? Um, you know, it's been a long time coming, and uh, they've got to hit the ground running, don't they, to be fair, to get that instant credibility. So what are the challenges for them? Uh, 8833 Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 9.26 here on SENZ and the big news out of the Paralympics overnight was uh, William Steadman, uh, who out of uh, nowhere sprung to claim silver medal. Uh, he was uh, way back in the pack going into his last jump uh, and uh, 
He'd already picked up two bronze medals as a 16-year-old in uh, Rio de Janeiro in 2016. Uh, he's uh, simply amazing, this kid. So uh, he jumped uh, a season's best 5.64 with his very, very last jump to surge his way into the silver medal uh, position. And this, this afternoon he'll compete in the 400 metres. So uh, those athletes who are in action today over there in uh, Tokyo and the cycling, Nicole Murray, uh, Anna Taylor... Sarah Ellington, Rory Mead, Stephen Hills, and uh, Elsie Mousebender is uh, in action there uh, in the athletics. Anna Stephen, William Steadman again, as we said. Uh, Anna Stephen uh, also in the women's 200-metre final, uh, if she can uh, qualify. And then the swimming, John. This is an interesting one for me. Uh, Sophie Pascoe is back in the pool. Uh, she's in the women's 100-metre freestyle heat uh, three. That's at 1.43 this afternoon. I'll make sure I'm going to watch that because... Uh, all doesn't appear to be well there, uh, unless it's just a case of her standards, uh, her setting the barometer so high and other people catching up. But she seemed uh, very disappointed at only getting a bronze medal last night. Yeah, well, we got the background from her coach, didn't we? Was that at the end of last week? Rolly Crichton from his hospital mm. bed? Um, and her build-up has been severely hampered, but not once have I heard Sophie Pascoe blame that at all. So she's very much... Professional, isn't she? Yeah, she was sick in the lead up to it, hadn't been able to compete internationally for two years, and then you get to the Paralympics and then you realise that the opposition have got quicker. So man, she went out fast in that first 50 metres, Smithy, but then didn't quite have it um, at the end to drag herself to gold. So got a bronze, first one ever in her collection. So 17 medals and the first time she's got anything less than silver, but three events to go back in the pool today in her favourite events. Um, I haven't lost faith in Sophie Pascoe. I still think she's got what it takes. And for her to be so bitterly disappointed at bronze is just an amazing sign of what kind of athlete she is. Uh, you know, only gold is good for Sophie Pascoe. Uh, so hopefully she can get herself one, if not three, over the next few days. All sorts of questions too about uh, that Formula One race and the, how just ridiculous it was. Uh, I see they've acted very quickly, uh, the Formula One authorities, to make sure that uh, that doesn't happen again. Uh, Bax Verstappen of course uh, was declared the winner of the race that lasted just two laps behind the safety car after heavy rain very very heavy rain Lewis Hamilton called it a farce the drivers were sent out solely to secure an official result and uh, he said that was unacceptable so are uh, they going to make a change there? Yeah, well, they should. I mean, we blew up about this yesterday, or well, I did, um, and then the Breakfast Boys had a Formula One correspondent, and it sounds like they are going to make changes because, man, imagine if you're a fan, Smithy, you're standing there in the pouring rain for two or three hours waiting for a race, then they do a procession for two laps behind a safety car and say, did you enjoy that, fans? You enjoy paying 100 quid for that race? Nah, no one enjoyed it. The drivers didn't enjoy it. The fans didn't enjoy it. Just call it off. Like, don't manufacture a result and give out half points. It's just ridiculous, and it calls into question just what your sport is up to. So hopefully they do make a yep. change there, Smithy. Okay, let's uh, hope that they do. Phil Tautarangi coming up uh, after the news uh, with Trudy now. It's 9.30. The all-new SNZ. It's Kiwi for sport. Smithy making SNZ News this hour. The final US evacuation flight has left Kabul airport, marking an end to the 20-year American presence in Afghanistan.
Emergency services received more than 150 calls for assistance last night as wild weather hit West Auckland. Cars were submerged and houses flooded while 60 households were evacuated, some by jet skis and kayaks. The Met Service is advising Aucklanders to hunker down as the worst may be yet to come. A heavy rain and wind watch is in force for Auckland and the Coromandel till early this afternoon. There are pleas from health authorities not to be put off the Pfizer vaccine by a woman's death. The woman in her 50s had underlying heart issues and it was a very rare side effect. New Zealand is currently 26.7% fully vaxxed. And TVNZ will pay $2,000 bonuses to its 500 employees after posting a $59 million annual profit, which it hadn't expected pre-COVID. SENZ Radio.NZ Sport coming up. The SCNZ app. Download it today and never miss a moment of your favourite show. Streaming live anywhere, anytime. New Zealand para-athlete William Steadman has soared to silver in the Paralympics long jump last night and para-swimming great Sophie Pascoe faded from first place in her backstroke to claim a bronze. Our Paralympics medals now sitting at six, two gold, three silver, one bronze. And the Highlanders have released all-black Josh Iwani as Super Rugby Pacific launches. Iwani has confirmed he's now joining the Chiefs, with rumours he was set to join the new Moana Pacifica side. Heavy rain watch for Auckland and the Coromandel till 1 this afternoon. Scattered showers clear for fine breaks for the rest of the north. Fine spells increasing for the south, but odd showers about the sounds, Kaikoura Coast and Western Fiordland. And today from 4, Drive with Kirsty Beaven Ricky, SENZ. It's 9.32 here on SCNZ uh, and we're very pleased to uh, announce that Phil Tautarangi has uh, joined us again this morning and uh, I guess the first question to you, Phil, is uh, you haven't had to uh, break into anything in the last 48 hours, have you? <laughs> no, I haven't, Smithy. I've, uh, I've, I've actually been kept well away from keys, uh, in charge of locking any doors or breaking into anything. Uh, yeah, look... Little misdemeanor, to be fair. Baz has kind of alerted the authorities in Matter Matter just in case. Um, so yeah, it, it, look, it wasn't a, it wasn't a good weekend, to be fair, and it all started with uh, an early break in to the studio for me on Saturday morning. <laughs> well, it was uh, in the end a pretty good weekend for Patrick Cantlay. Uh, that battle with uh, Bryce and Deshambo uh, heading down the straight of the BMW yesterday was simply. Uh, unbelievable, and have playoffs, is it just me, or have playoffs been the order of this season of golf? There have been some monumental ones. Yeah, absolutely, there have been. Um, the the, the eight-hole playoff at the Travellers earlier on this year, um, The uh, obviously that six-hole playoff yesterday, you, you kind of go back to the playoff for the bronze medal, uh, even, in, in, in Tokyo. There's, there's never a playoff in golf for third. And so um, it, I, I think it's representative of just how tight it's become at the top of the, the men's game. I think it's been tight at the top of the women's game for, for a number of years, but at the top of the men's game, it tends to have at different stages throughout the, the season. Dustin Johnson have a bit of a blowout or someone win by four or five shots, which is, you know, which is kind of half the length of the straight, to be fair, over 72 holes in the, in the world of golf. But it seems like um, there's been a little bit of a tightening of 
those that are at the top of the game, and it's got quite crowded up there. I know it's one of the oldest and corniest sayings in golf, but was it uh, true yesterday? I mean, drive for show, putt for dough. You saw these massive mm-hmm. drives, and for the most part, very accurate too from Bryson DeChambeau. Uh, Cantlay having to acknowledge the fact that he was going to be hitting into the green first on most occasions. Uh, but then, of course, his, his putting was, it was phenomenal. Uh, not just the, you know, the long ones. It was the, the, the seven, eight, nine footers he had to make for scrambling pars, etc., uh, which must, in the end... Uh, must have in the end got to DeChambeau in some way. Yeah, you're right. It's, a, it's an old cliche, Smithy, and I guess they're cliches because they, um, you know, I, I guess they're, they're very apt at many times. And, and for that golf course that they're playing last week, I think there was a lot of chat on social media around the golf world, to be fair, with a playoff event, one of the premier events on the PGA Tour. Was it a chip and putt? set up for the uh, the, the penultimate uh, tournament of the season and look, it was no snack 7,400 yards, what 68, 6,900 metres or so, uh, longer than any golf courses we've got in New Zealand by about 400 metres and because of all the rain and the soft conditions it, it, it rendered itself to a dartboard over the course of four days Bryson had a chance at shooting 59 in the second round um, there are a couple of others that were you know, on 59 alert at different stages throughout the course of the weekend. And so, yeah, look, it was, wasn't a, a championship test, but hell, it was entertaining. It was very entertaining. Mm. And um, I, th- I think there's, there's room in the sport for those sorts of tournaments from week to week. And when you can see the, um, the way that the playoff um, developed and, and even the... Uh, the tussle coming down the stretch when the tournament was going to go one way or the other and then they required six holes of, of overtime. Just a couple of uh, stats. You mentioned Cantlay, who ended up getting up um, and his performance with the putter. Since 2004, they've been in taking a, a different stat on the PGA Tour, Smithy, um, on, on how one player's performance rates against the field in all the, with different categories across driving, iron play, short game and, and work with the putter in hand. Cantlay's performance yesterday was the best, the best recorded performance. He gained 14 shots over that round on the field with his putter in hand. The average from 10 to 20 feet on the PGA Tour, Smithy, is the, the best pros in the world make that about one in four times, about 25% of the time. Cantlay his performance from 10 to 20 feet last week at Kay's Valley not only doubled that, nearly two-thirds of the putts from 10 to 20 feet he made last week. And so when you talk about it being cliché, drive for show, Bryson DeChambeau, putt for dough, Patrick Cantlay, the putt for dough came through last week. It was, uh, I mean, honestly, you've ever played golf, you know just how brilliant it was, uh, the way he just kept knocking them in under pressure. Uh, it was amazing. Phil, now, we're down to the last 30, right? So just uh, for mm. me in particular, actually, and, and those people listening, how does this work? Because whilst they're playing for the Tour Championship, uh, they're also playing for the FedEx. If you finish 30, it's damned hard to win the FedEx, isn't it? Uh, how does, how does, wh- what number of the top, say, 30 have a realistic chance of winning the FedEx overall? Yeah, good call, Smithy. It's, um, it, it, it's used with the FedEx Cup being in its 14th, 15th season now. Um, that they've, they've used in, or tweaked 
I guess, this point system on a number of different occasions. And this will be the third year they come to this tour championship. And basically, it's a handicap handicapping at the start of the week. The, the Patrick Cantlay, courtesy of his win yesterday, will start the tournament with a 10-shot lead over the guy that's 30th. A two-shot lead over Tony Finau, who's in second place. So he's going to start the tournament at 10 under par. And then it's basically a race to the finish line over the course of four days. And so, you know, you've played the whole season. Patrick Cantlay wins the penultimate event and he starts the uh, the final event with a two-shot head start. You mentioned where, you know, where does, um, you know, how far back is too far back, I guess. When you, when you have a look at those players and, and the way that it, it breaks down right now, you most probably go, you know, how much do you spot a, a guy at the start of the week? And, and for Patrick Cantlay, it's fair to say his form's in pretty decent nick. Maybe a five-shot head start. Those that are at five under and, and better may well have a, uh, a, a decent uh, leg up on on you know, those that are behind, trying to make up 10 shots over the course of four days is is uh, is not that easy. And the, and the statistics over the last couple of years suggest that if you're not within five shots, you uh, you haven't got a chance. Um, those players that are, uh, I'm just bringing it up now, so maybe those players that are inside of the uh, the uh, the top 30 include uh, Patrick Cantlay, of course, Tony Finau, who won last week, and then uh, when you go a little bit further down, you uh, you get to the likes of uh, John Rahm, who's been very impressive um, over the last couple of, uh, well, over the entire season, to be fair. Um, and those uh, those players that are behind him, I mean, you included Justin Thomas in there, maybe a Rory McIlroy, who's a little bit further down, is, is the misnomer, someone who's going to come from a little bit further behind. Showed a little bit of form last week. Um, and is a past champion uh, around the golf course there at East Lake. He's maybe someone that can come out of the pack um, and, and make a bit of a burst. But I, th- I think when you you look at those that, that uh, are at uh, you know five under or better, you, you you maybe include Cameron Smith in there with a with a little bit of form. Um, I'm not so sure that Bryson's game is best suited to East Lake. He hasn't had good performances there in the past. A couple of seasons ago, he came in here leading the FedEx Cup and finished towards the bottom of the paddock. Uh, he himself has said that Eastlake doesn't set up for his, you know, ex- 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 exponential length off of the tee. Uh, he's going to have to fire, you know, gear it back a little bit to, to try and find some fairway. And the statistics suggest that uh, uh, those that, that lead in the driving statistics, basically combination of length and accuracy, those are the guys that come out on top. Uh, over the course of the next four days. So, look, there's a whole heap of numbers that floating around. Effectively, it's a handicap, uh, handicap stroke play event. Uh, Patrick Bentley is going to start with a two-shot lead. Big number is uh, 15 million bucks to the winner. That's the one I can't get over. Phil Tuttering, you very much uh, appreciated your, your input this morning, particularly on the uh, the upcoming uh, Tour Championship. Of course, uh, you'll be able to catch Phil on Saturday mornings at 7 o'clock. Teared up with Phil Tautarangi. Uh, he'll have updates on the tournament. Be well underway by then. Uh, and he might even also uh, bring us up to date with where the New Zealanders sit in terms of the next season of golf. Stephen Alka having a very good finish on the Champions Tour uh, over the weekend as well. Great news for, for Stephen Alka. 9.42 here on SENZ. Behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
8833 is our text number. Uh, what do you think the, the biggest uh, handicaps will be for Moana Pacifica? Um, how successful do you think they will be early on? That's uh, one topic. You might always, uh, also want to uh, come up with this for us. Uh, cult figures. We're doing a Mount Rushmore later this morning, John Day and I. We do one every week. Uh, and our subject today is cult figures in sport. Uh, do you have a cult figure, someone that not necessarily has to be the be- best at what they've done, but uh, they've attracted a fair amount of world support because of maybe their inability to do something, uh, maybe um, you know their, their little idiosyncrasies in what they do, the way that they grab you, not so much as a champion or as a medal winner, etc., uh, but just the, the impact they've had on you, a cult figure. Um, give us uh, an indication on 88.33 of maybe one who has uh, had some influence on you. Uh, Andy Murray. Uh, is serving at 5, 3, 40, 30 up, uh, and that's to go two sets to one up on Pass, and he's done that. He is now two sets to one up, Andy Murray. That would be a long time since Andy Murray has played in the first round of any major, played the number three seed. Uh, so that's what he's trying to overcome here. He's on the comeback from injury. It would be a heck of a story, actually, if he was able to get up. Uh, and so for Andy Murray, two sets to one up. Uh, if uh, Tsitsipas could win the fourth and there'd become a, a fatigue factor, I think, for Andy Murray. How attuned is he playing to five sets uh, these days? Uh, John, it's been uh, uh, a predictable start, has it? Any great surprises overnight in the US Open? Yeah, just flicking through. Well, this is a massive surprise to me, Smithy. I thought Andy Murray was done and dusted. Um, he must have the heart of a lion. It's quite a cliche when it comes to English uh, sports people. Well, he's not English, he's Scottish. Uh, to UK mm. sports people. Um, but man, the heart from Andy Murray to come out here against Stefano Tsitsipas is one of the best young guns going around, third seed. And for Murray to be two sets to one up is quite incredible. Other results are Grigor Dimitrov, Mini Federer. He won his first round match in straight sets. Kasper Ruud, uh, he's eighth seed. He's also through in straight sets. John Isner, uh, 19th seed. He lost in straight sets to a fellow American. Uh, Marin Cilic is out as well. He won the first two sets in tiebreakers, but then Philip Kohlschreiber, the veteran German, won the next two, and then uh, Marin Cilic pulled out injured in the fifth set. Uh, Felix Oyer Aliasem, he's a young Canadian, uh, ranked 12th. He's won in four sets. Uh, and Diego Schwartzman, the 11th seed, there he has also won through. So that's in the men's and the women's. Um, Angelique Kerber's into a third set at the moment. Uh, Rabikina has won through. Uh, Madison Keys and Sloane Stevens, the two Americans, they were on Arthur Ashe Stadium earlier on. I think they played a final not too long ago, and they're both unseeded. And Sloane Stevens won that one. Garbinia Muguruza, she's through in straight sets, and Simona Halep also through in straight sets. So no major upsets, but if Stefano Sitsipas was to go here. Holy moly, uh, that would be awesome for Andy Murray and just maybe a sign that maybe Roger Federer should keep on going as well, Smithy. Yep, uh, I think, uh, well, if, if Murray can do it, certainly Federer's still got the game. Has he got the fitness and the strength? Uh, that's the key. And has he got that mental side of the, the dominance that he carried for so many years in those tight situations where people, his opponents perceived he was unbeatable, he'd win those clutch points. Does he still win that fair share of them now? Um, look, Chase from Waiuku's texted through already. Uh, the Barracuda, Richard Buckman, is a cult figure. Oh. Absolutely, totally agree. Not on my list, Chase, but uh, certainly that's the kind of person uh, I think we're kind of looking for here. I've gone a little bit more upmarket around the world, but yeah, uh, as a Hawks Bay person, I should have abs- absolutely thought seriously 
about the Barracuda. On the subject of rugby too, uh, it's been revealed overnight uh, that the Highlanders have parted ways with one test all-black Josh Shawani with a whole year to run on his super rugby contract. Now, I find this quite interesting actually because uh, party at Josh's, it's one of been one or two little incidents down there involving Josh Shawani. I, I just wonder whether uh, his move to the Chiefs is... Something more than rugby, John? Am I reading between the lines too much there? Nah, you're reading between the lines correctly, Smithy, from my mail from down south. Um, you don't let go of Josh Iwani with a year to go on his contract, do you? Unless there's something behind the scenes. I'm like, he's, everyone knows what a talented rugby player he is. But off the field, I'm hearing not very professional. Uh, they had an end-of-year season do last year, the Highlanders, the whole squad. Um, had a court session, which you'd be well uh, aware of, Smithy, that happens in team sport, had a court session, and I heard that uh, Josh Iwani planned his own drinks that night, didn't attend the court session, took a few of the other squad members to his place and had his own end-of-season do. So that's the kind of guy he was down in the Highlanders. And Tony Brown's the coach there, and he's very much team first, and Josh Iwani sounds like he wasn't keen to be team first, he was keen to be Josh Iwani first. So they've let him go. The Chiefs are going to have a crack at him, which is interesting for me as well because Warren Gatlin's now going to tell his son, Bryn, sorry, mate, I got you up here for game time, but now I've got Josh Iwani here who's going to take your game time. So very interesting situation with Josh Iwani, I reckon, Smithy. You're a ferret, John Day. You're a ferret. We'll just leave it at that. It's 9.52 here on SENZ. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold them. Know when to fold them. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Yes, uh, and if you're betting live, of course, bet uh, responsibly. You've got to be 18 to follow the multi. TAB.co.nz is the website. Uh, yesterday, uh, the Yankees lost to the Oakland A's. They uh, were very competitive for quite a long period of time, and then they blew it. Simple as that. Millman uh, got beaten by Larkison, so uh, that was no good either, but Simona Halep got up uh, in the end to beat Camilla Georgie, so at $1.76. But in terms of the multi, uh, that was down the gurgler. So today, uh, the San Diego Padres will to beat the, the Arizona Diamondbacks. It's $1.49. Uh, in tennis, Mackenzie McDonald to beat David Goffin at $1.40. He's a great tennis name, isn't it? Mackenzie McDonald. Uh, and Brazilian football, Fortaleza to beat Culaba at a buck fifty-seven. That's later today. And tomorrow morning, very early on in the piece, uh, in the English Championship, Stockport County to beat Grimsby Town at $1.91. So therefore, that will get you $6.25. A nice, healthy return for that. Uh, we've been getting some... Texan as well on cult figures. The late Dean Jones, a great runner between wickets ever, certainly a character. Um, Dino, but I'm not quite sure he'd fall into um, the cult figure bracket. Certainly a great cricketer, absolutely no doubt about that. Uh, we've got uh, Morena Smithy, g'day, and Morena to you too, John from Tokomaru Bay in the east coast, beautiful part of the world. Beaver, uh, he says Beaver. How could you ignore Beaver, Stephen Donald? We haven't ignored him, we're just asking for suggestions. Uh, Chris Martin's batting. Certainly Chris Martin comes up in terms of uh, a possible cult figure. Chats even, to a large degree. Uh, these are guys who really battled their way through uh, and made a name for themselves. And they've also made a name for themselves perhaps outside the cricket as well, just with their character and the way that you warm to them. John Day. Mention of two for you here as well. We'll get into that uh, after 10 o'clock, as well as uh, speaking, first of all, 
This is Michael Jones. Summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Ten o two here on SENZ and Super Rugby Pacific uh, will begin next year, including five teams from New Zealand, five from Australia, one from Fiji, and uh, one representing uh, the Pacific Islands. And joining us now, I'm very pleased to say, is uh, the chairman of Moana Pacifica, New Zealand Rugby Board member, and uh, former All Black great Sir Michael Jones. Uh, Sir Michael, welcome to the show. Uh, absolutely fantastic to talk to you on a, a happy subject. But it's been a long time coming for you guys. Yeah, thanks, Smithy. Um, privilege to be on, on your show. And, yeah, no, um, really, really grateful, very uh, excited and uh, absolutely thrilled to, to have Moana Pacifica and to draw, of course, um, part of uh, Super Rugby Pacifica heading into next season. So, Michael, I just wonder, you know, you've been part of a group that's been working along the lines behind the scenes for this for quite some time, you know, it's been yes, no, maybe sort of scenario. So for your group, just how how sort of rewarding is it to finally acknowledge uh, today that you're in, uh, you're in it and it is a reality? Yeah, yeah. It, it's been a journey, Smithy, to, to, to be fair. I mean, you know, when you think of the, I suppose, you know, even the historical context of Pacific Island rugby and, I mean, it, it, rugby is, like New Zealand, it's, it's, it's the national game in, in every Pacific island, particularly Samoa, Tonga, and, and Fiji. Um, it's part of the psyche of the people. It's part of the DNA. It, it uplifts society. Um, hopes and aspirations are built around this our beloved game. And and so, you know, the journey of, I don't know, 100 years of rugby in the Pacific, I think of, um, you know, obviously the feats of Manu Samoa and Nikolitahi and, uh, you know, you just, even thinking back to what the wonderful uh, flying Fijians did at Tokyo not too long ago last month and what that did for its society and its community and its people um, through a, a really tough time with COVID. Um, so that's the power of rugby in the, in the region and in the Pacific. So, And then, you know, with uh, the likes of Sue BG who broke the ceiling, uh, you know, 50-odd years ago for a generation of, of Pacific rugby players, um, and then I suppose 25 years ago when um, Super Rugby commenced um, and sadly Pacific teams were not included, and I think to the detriment of the game um, in, in, in saying that because, uh, you know, it'd be fair to say that there has been a steady decline apart from, you know, a few moments in history, but I think right now Tonga and Samoa, for example, are maybe 15 and 17th in in the world rankings, and, and that's a tragedy. Um, th- these are the, the, you know, I think Pacific Island rugby are, are the darlings of Pacific Island of, of world rugby of the global game, and and so I think everyone, everyone wants to see it thrive and, and flourish and, and fulfil its potential. So I think uh, there's no doubt that this is a a big step and and a big, um, um, I suppose, uh, key to to fulfilling that promise. Yeah, certainly there's nothing like exposure and the. Certainly those players that are involved in your squad uh, are going to get plenty of that uh, in the forthcoming yeah. competition. Uh, what do you make of the format uh, that they've drawn up for the 12-team competition? Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a really... Uh, I think it works for the newbies, and I, I, I think Daryl will be licking their lips too because the thought of potentially 
you know, you've just got to make the, the top eight, Smithy, and, and, and you've got a, a sniff, haven't you? you? It's a bit like the NRL. You can get, you can sneak in at number eight and potentially go all the way. Um, so I think that really adds a, a wonderful dimension. Um, it's an enhancement, um, no doubt. Um, and, and, you know, even the, the focus on local derbies, uh, around Robin uh, program, you know, 14 games, seven at home. Um, it all bodes well for something fresh, something new. And I, and I you know, obviously like the Pacific teams, it, it's what the, an introduction of Pacific teams um, and the flavor and the, I suppose, the, the unique, um, uh, I suppose, color and passion that comes with that. It's what the, it's what the fans want, and and you know we we acknowledge New Zealand rugby and rugby Australia for the foresight and you know putting a stake in the ground and and um and making it happen. I suppose COVID's facilitated that to a point, um, but philosophically, um, it it is about helping to build the game in the region, um, and and also it is a, a dynamic um, lift uh, for the fans. Michael, I just I just wonder about the logistics of it now. You've got the green light. Uh, so uh, at, mm-hmm. at what stage now are you in terms of planning? Like, for instance, where is your home going to be? Yeah, there, there'll be a few announcements in the uh, very near future. So I think we, you know, we are, we, I can report that we've been ticking boxes along the way. And, I mean, you did allude to the fact that it has been, uh, you know, um, a, a huge challenge, but I can say that um, at every sort of um, juncture along this pathway, uh, the Mono Pacifica organisation, and we've got a great team there. I'm just privileged to, to be the chair um, and on the trust. Um, it, it is set up quite uniquely and differently. It, it's really been developed to, to stay, um, you know, as much as possible in, in, in the hands of the people and to be a platform for it's bigger than rugby. It is seen as a movement, so it's it's got a whole lot of uh, social economic um, uh, components to it. it. But rugby is, you know, the very front and centre piece to it. Um, in terms of a home, we're really pleased that we're going to be able to announce um, a really, um, you know, it's a best fit home for us. And um, obviously, there's head coaches are being selected, um, assistants. And uh, the uh, personnel, um, the team roster is looking really healthy and, and we're really excited about that too. But um, there'll be a, a few announcements coming up really shortly, Smithy. Um, we have tried to just stay under the radar, make sure we, you know, we've really got something to talk to when, when at the right time. So when will that time be, uh, Michael? Uh, yeah, next, day? Next week. yeah, next week. Um, yeah, probably next week, mate. We... Uh, we're definitely wanting to, you know, obviously put it out there, um, maybe even later this weekend, in terms of who we've been able to secure as our head coaches and assistants, um, and, and and potentially some of the key uh, players, um, and, and we're really excited about that too, um, and of course our home base. Uh, that's going to that's that's a significant piece to the, you know, to, to putting it all together, but. Suffice to say, we really, really are pleased with where we sit in terms of you know, kickoff uh, early Feb. Um, we'll be ready, and uh, you know we're gonna. We really want this to fly. It's got to succeed. Um, a lot of people have really put a lot into this, and and are believing in this. And and most importantly for the people, uh, you know we can't wait to see good crowds turning up at our venue. Uh, passionate, um, colourful, 
um, with certain, you know, real different, unique flavour. Um, and we've seen that in the way that um, not only Pacific people, but you know, Kiwis and Australians. I think um, both the Drew and Moana Pacific will be everyone's uh, second favourite team. Michael, you mentioned it's important for the future of rugby in the islands, which of course means the international sides as well. Uh, and therefore, mm-hmm. um, it is interesting to read that a, a healthy percentage of these squads do have to be available to play for, for Tonga, for Manu Samoa, uh, instead of just you know, branching off back to overseas. I, I think that's an important commitment, isn't it, to, to the future of rugby? Yeah, that's, I mean, fundamentally that's what this is all about. It's a vehicle for that um, specifically. Smithy, it, you know, we've got a pathway players who um, are either already in their system and we've got to build their, the, the players that, that are part of the manu and the ikalitahi. I mean, you just think not too long ago we, we saw um, you know, the ikalitahi beat, beaten by 100 points by the All Blacks and I don't think anyone wants that. But if you could imagine those same players or, or a percentage of them um, um, exposed to a professional, the best professional rugby competition in the world week in, week out, in a professional environment, with all the scaffolding that comes with that, and top coaches, um, you know, uh, mentoring, um, well-being, you know, everything you can think of, strength and conditioning, it's going to be provided in that environment. So those players are, are definitely going to go up two or three notches, plus obviously pathways for younger players coming through, particularly from the islands, um, and then pathwaying and staircasing into a professional um, competition. Again, you know, imagine these young men uh, one might have been playing village rugby or even just playing club rugby. Mm. Uh, week in, week out, they're playing um, All Blacks and Wallabies um, and, and the cream of, of New Zealand and Australasian rugby. Uh, so that's got to be a huge, uh, it's a massive um, step in the right direction. And, and, uh, and, and it'll be fair to say the hopes and aspirations of young Pacifica in New Zealand who not, not everyone can go into that sort of very narrow pathway into the Blues or or the Chiefs, or any other team. So there's there's a lot of young men who are currently falling through the cracks. That if 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 we do this right, um, we we can uh, identify them and give them uh, a, a hope and aspiration and a future, um, not just for them but for their families. So that's the other piece that's really um, exciting. But but at the very heart and very essence of what this uh, cope up is all about. Uh, Michael. Uh you know the the strength of uh, Super Rugby, uh, particularly in New Zealand. It's incredibly strong with the uh, availability of the talent that the coaching staff have here, over here. So, uh, in terms of uh, in reality, with looking at uh, the strength of your squad, um, what are your goals? What are your goals initially? Because I, I think you know certainly credibility has got to be high on the agenda, doesn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. It, it, we've got to win. Um, you know, we've got to be credible. We've got to be competitive. Um, we've got to week in, week out, at, uh, you know, front up and, and and hopefully win win just as many games um, as as you might lose. So that's that's very high in, in the aspirations and the vision of of not just the head coaches and the and the rugby director, uh, but but the whole um, Mono Pacifica family. Um, so yeah, you know, it, we we we. We, 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 know, we make no bones about it. We know how tough it's going to be. Uh, it's the first year. We're an unknown quantity. Um, but I think that's also some of the what makes it so appealing, um, attractive, is 
because no one knows really what to expect, apart from the fact that people know that Pacifica players, um, you know, you put them in the right environment and and they can thrive and they can upset anyone on their day. So that unknown fact, I mean, that drew a team, from what I'm hearing, will be something pretty special. And, and certainly when they start bringing some of their, their men back, um, some of their marquee players back from Europe, and, you know, not, not everyone wants to stay in Europe anymore. A lot of people are eyeing this competition as where they want to be. It's close to home. They can be um, still supporting their families and, and you know, obviously making a, a you know pretty healthy um, remuneration package that that helps them and their families, not just here and particularly back in the islands. Uh, so, yeah, we're, we're realists. Um, it, it's going to be tough, but um, you know, success. It's a good question, Smithy. It's not just about winning on the field. It's it's about um, the transformation that we can see in people's lives and, and lifting our own communities, particularly back in the islands. That'll be a measure of our successes, how this wins the hearts and minds and and um, actually brings some real positive lift and change and transformation for communities plus individuals and their families. So, Michael Jones, as always, uh, it's a pleasure talking to you and uh, hear the passion in your voice. Uh, about this uh, challenge you've now got uh, for Moana Pacifica. Wonderful news, a long time coming. Uh, we wish you all the best with uh, the, the, the planning, and we look, so look forward to those announcements uh, coming next week about uh, team makeup, coaches, and, of course, the all-important venue. Go well, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Smithy. You too. Cheers. So Michael Jones there uh, with, um, you know, the big news, just confirming the, the big news. Um it is wonderful news, John. I think it's outstanding. Uh, you know, it, the credibility question I think is the one for me. Uh, the last thing you want to do is, you know, to put them up against, and they're going to be up against some quality sides, and you know, to get pastings week in week out. They have to be good. They have to get credibility. They have to challenge, um, and they have to do it over a concerted period of time because we we know there are blowout games in Super Rugby from time to time, but. Yeah, not very often it happens all the time. You know, there, there are always sides that when they get beat, they tend to bounce back. That, to me, will be uh, the crux of the matter, particularly early in the competition. Absolutely. No, I share the same concerns, Smithy, because like, they, they don't have a full-time coach yet or a roster or a home ground. It just seems there's times running out, you know, like teams pre- do pre-season training, I think, from November. Um, so you know that the time is running out, and they're just a new team. And you've seen in New Zealand, like the Chiefs going on that massive losing streak. It's tough. It's tough footy. It's the toughest mm. you'll ever play. So I'm just glad that uh, Moana Pacifica have got some crappy Aussie teams to play, Smithy, and hopefully they get to play them twice. <laughs> hopefully they do. Of course, and the, I've got the other team from Fiji that they can beat up on too if they want to. That'll be a passionate game. Wow! How about those two sides going at it? Uh, speaking of being competitive, speaking of getting to the playoffs, uh, Manly have done that. Manly have done it. They've, uh, your Manly have made it to the top four, and very shortly we'll be talking to one of their key players, a New Zealand boy, actually, Morgan Harper. SENZ. Now listen, who is stepping out? I'm going to turn around. going to turn around once and we'll do the evil round. It comes to Walker. Four in now, bypasses one. Harper looks to his outside, goes back to the inside. He bounces over. They go the length of the field, off the back of the try by Cherry Evans. Harper scores.
And the Harper who scored was Morgan Harper. Uh, he's our guest now now uh, on SENZ. Um, of course, he's out of uh, Narawahia. Uh, he's uh, made his home on the north beaches of Sydney. And now, of course, uh, because of COVID, uh, he's making his rugby league home in Queensland. Uh, good morning to you, Morgan. Thanks very much for joining us here. Uh, morning, bro. Thanks for having me on. And look, a fantastic story yours uh, because uh, you've assigned uh, really early on uh, when you're 18 years of age uh, by the Bulldogs, mate. You're a young father then. You already had responsibility, so that was that was quite a big decision. Yeah, yeah, it certainly was. Um, it was uh, a challenging time um, during that period, but you know, it was a sacrifice that I believe I needed to make in order to uh, you know get where I need to be and. I'm just happy that you know, I had good support base around me, and yeah, yes. <laughs> big call, not a while here. I mean, you know, a fantastic little town on its own right, but uh, it's a it's a long way from Sydney and life there. So, what were the early challenges for you? Uh just to, to be honest, man, it was just the 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 city itself. Like when I moved to Sydney, made it it was. Yeah, it was full on, man. Like there's people everywhere. There's there's traffic all the time, and I mean, obviously the main one being away from my family was the hardest. But you know, I just 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 got through it. Like I said, it's a good support base, and you know, and my well, I got a lot of family in, in in the town still. So yeah, they they always behind me, and they always give me reassuring and a bit of advice if I need it. So you know, when you were sort of growing up and 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 playing a bit of footy around in the Waikato type area, I think Manly were probably pretty strong there. I mean, they've always had strong ties to New Zealand, even though you started at the Bulldogs. Um, the, the possibility of playing for Manly, you know, with the likes of of Matthew Ridge being there, Graham Lowe being the coach, uh, Des Hasler, etc. Um, they were big names and well known to New Zealand people. Were you aware of uh, so much of Manly back in those days? Uh not so much those days, but obviously, like in like you know the late oh like 2010, like 2007, 2008, um, with the likes of Steve Madai, you know I was a massive fan of him. He's from New Zealand, and and obviously the Stewart brothers they were there, and yeah, those are kind of the best kind of the man I remember. Well, you're playing in some uh, pretty elite company now. Uh, Tom Travojevic is probably rated as uh, one of the best players in the NRL and uh, maybe on his way to uh, a Dally M. And he's been uh, the spark for your side. Uh, you've had a really strong last uh, five or six weeks to, to get you, you guys into the top four. Yeah, mate, he's, he's a special player, that fella. Um, you know, I, I admire, I just look at him sometimes and think, well, how did he do that? But, you know, um, he's, he's an awesome teammate, he's a good bloke and yeah, obviously the last last sort of you know ten weeks have been good for us. Um, you know, we're gonna look to keep building. We have still got one game to go uh, this week, and you know our focus is on that. And you know we we focus on that right, and we get the result, then we we roll into the top four. Morgan, you've played 18, uh, 19 games in a row now. Sorry, um, uh, in one of the toughest, most bruising competitions uh, in the, the sporting world, actually. So, what's what's been the key to your success? Uh, yeah, it is, it is a tough, tough game, bro. Um, you know, there's a lot of weeks that I sort of wake up the next day and I'm like, well, I'm a bit, I'm a bit rough today. But uh, I think a lot of it has to do just with the recovery and the, the, the nutrition around um, sort of 
after the few days after the game is pretty important, I think, and I try and get those things right in order to to be ready for next week. You know, I want to play as many games as I can, and you know, I enjoy playing it, and I want to make sure I'm in the right shape. So, yeah, probably just the recovery part of the of the, after the game is probably the most important. So now you've uh, you've got yourselves manly, uh, of course, the Seagulls into the a top four situation. Cowboys on Saturday night, as you say, you focus on on one game at a time, but uh, strengthening that position in there with what you've got going up. And, and of course, it's not a kind of game you want to drop because, you know, you want to be uh, at uh, your peak confidence levels heading into a tough playoff scenario. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Cowboys, are, they, they got a good win last week and, um, you know, it's their last game of the season and they're at home, so they'll be coming out firing. Um, look, looking to to knock us off. So, yeah, like you said, we need a we need a win for our you know not just our confidence, but to to cement the top four spot. And yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to the challenge and and, and then what's what's to come after that. Morgan, we spent uh, you know all all of our time, uh, a lot of our time anyway, put it that way, uh, focusing on the Warriors and the challenges they've had to make about not being able to come back to New Zealand, play at home, away from families and that. But it's it's, they're all really all of you are in the same boat now. I mean, Sydney and, and New South Wales is a, is a bit of a mess at the moment. So your mind must be on the people back there as you uh, try to prepare with what you're doing up in Queensland. Yeah, yeah, it is tough, mate. Um, as nice as it is living here in Queensland, um, you know, we all do miss miss home and you know miss our sort of normality to life. I guess um, you know it has its challenging days and it, and you know certainly. Certainly, you know, the FaceTime and all that is a massive help to, you know, keep in contact with everyone. And, yeah, it's a tough one, mate. I feel for everyone back home and um, in Sydney that are, you know, been in lockdown for the past, I think it's eight weeks now. And, you know, it mustn't be easy. So, um, yeah, I just hope, you know, everyone gets through it. And, you know, we look in the next few, few months or so, it improves and, you know, everyone gets back to some sort of normality, I guess. Well, the best you can do is uh, every 80, 80 minutes every week bring you a Manly fan some joy anyway. So what's what's the chat inside the squad? I mean, as you say, you're on a roll, you're, you're playing well, but um, you're not getting ahead of yourselves and, and, and I guess staying focused. What's Des Hasler been saying to you as a group? Uh, just, it's, 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 it's a bit of an old cliche, but it, it's kind of just, you know, let's try and focus on what we do. Um, now, obviously... Um, we've had results go our way and I think it's uh, when we have a, a great coaching staff here and a great leadership group who always uh, keep us on task and you know don't let us get too far ahead of ourselves so that's probably the main one is just you know focus on us and um, you know and then everything will come on the back of it you know never look too far ahead there's no easy games in the NRL and um, yeah we look to uh, keep improving each week and you know sort of clear up areas that we think we need to and, you know, make sure we're ready to roll into the finals. Good on you, Morgan. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you, mate. Um, go well, stay safe up there in, in Queensland and all the best for the rest of the season uh, with Manly. Morgan Harper there, centre, doing a, a terrific job and a side that, that's playing really well. Uh, just after 10.30 here on SENZ, it's news time. The panel. Talk, talk, talk to me, yeah. Joined by Mark Hinton and Sam Ackerman this morning here on the panel and uh, pleased to welcome you both in. Sam, 
A busy time, of course. We're getting to the pointy end of the season for the NRL, but uh, the Warriors, again, won't be part of it. Um, do you regard it as, uh, with all I've had going on in their rugby league lives and their private lives, I guess, uh, a successful season? Or do you think they should have been better even in those circumstances? Well, I, I wouldn't. I think a successful season's overreaching, um, Smithy. I, I don't think it's a failure of a season. It's the first season under a new coach. Um, the choice was made to uh, to switch uh, switch coaches last year, which is always going to put that pressure on under these uh, uncircum, uh, un, unknown and unforeseen circumstances. They're going to have to uh, keep soldiering through. I think. I don't think honestly at the start of uh, last year we would have thought that they'd spend the entire season over there. We thought we, everyone would have thought there's a chance that some kind of normality comes back. It didn't eventuate, uh, so it stayed pretty um, pretty mental. Uh, but uh, they've beaten one top eight team this season, one team that's currently inside the top eight, and that's a few weeks ago, uh, against the Sharks. They've had 23 games, eight wins. Um, yes, there's some mitigating circumstances, but that's not to say there's not some uh, quality players within this uh, Warriors team, and they've got close on a lot of occasions and haven't been able to, uh, to nail it down. So I... I don't call this a success, um, but if it's not a building block for next season, uh, then it will be a failure in retrospect. Mark, one of the things that Moana Pacifica will be looking to get, and we've just spoken to uh, Sir Michael Jones, is, is credibility. In other words, they, they've got to be competitive. Uh, do you see that now that it's all, uh, you know, the ink's hardly dry on, on the, the, the piece of paper and it's going to be a reality, do you see that happening? Uh, it's going to be very, very difficult for them, Smithy. Uh, history tells you when you're an expansion franchise coming into an established competition, you do, you know, you do it tough early on. Um, you know, there's, there's, um, it's difficult to build a team from scratch, uh, let alone under the circumstances that Moana Pacifica will have to, and in, in kind of cobbling a team together, you know, in an environment um, where that, you know. <laughs> where they're only going to really be picking up the scraps in terms of New Zealand talent. So they're going to have to be creative with the way they form a team. It's going to be very difficult for them to be competitive. I don't think we can expect either the Drua or Moana Pacifica to be to be winning games regularly in year one. It's about them establishing something, building and getting better. So, um, uh, you know, I think there will be at least one or two years of pain, Smithy, sadly. Um, but we've just got to be prepared to accept it. And, and, and you've got to take the small victories with with uh, outfits like Moana Pacific and Fiji, Fiji and Drew. They're, they're, they're part of something bigger, aren't they? So let's give them time, let's let them develop, and let's not be too reactionary if they get hammered a few times early on in year one. I tried to quiz uh, Sir Michael this morning. He was, wasn't too forthcoming with uh, the logistics of it. He uh, said there's going to be a few announcements next week, but uh, Mark, you've got your finger on the pulse, uh, you hear things before uh, a lot of other people, uh, just in particular a venue here, what would be the ideal one from your point of view? Well, you know, I think they're, they're going to play out of Mount Smart Stadium and they? that seems to be the, um, um, seems to be their home venue with, um, there was some talk they were going to try and get Eden Park maybe for a big clash or two. Um, but I don't know. I don't know where how far advanced they are there, and of course a, a bit might depend on Mount Smart Stadium around fitting in, obviously with the other tenants there. So um, a bit of work to be done. Who's going to be coach? It's a massive call. You know, you, you need someone that's going to establish a culture and identity from year one, don't you? So I heard they went hard for Aaron Major, but I'm not quite sure um, um, how keen he was, and and there were some difficulties there. So we'll let. 
you know, it's going it's going to be interesting, isn't it? You know, every every move they make, Smithy, is going to be an important one because they've they've got to establish something kind of credible to build off the new one. So, but you know, with a guy like Michael Jones in charge. Um, or, you know, mm-hmm. high up in terms of the organisation, other names like Brian Williams involved. You know, these are people with real character, with real credibility. So it does give you some hope that things can be established on firm footing. Sam, just going back to league uh, for a second, every now and then you see something in the game, um, you know, and it's not just uh, to league I say this, but in, in rugby league you, you see a hit and you cringe and you think, well, that wasn't too good. And then you see the outcome of it almost straight away. And I'm talking here, of course, about the Joey Manu um, cheekbone situation where his face had to be operated on not long after the game. Latrell Mitchell involved here. Have they handled that well? Is that severe enough? Yeah, I think so. Um, it's, it's season gone. Uh, and I, I think there was, uh, it was reckless rather than intentional in my view. I don't think that... His thought process was, I want this guy to be hurt. I think his um, thought process is, I'm not going to hold back and they are going to have to make way for me. It was, uh, it was a stupid move by Latrell Mitchell, who's got a history of uh, making some dumb decisions on the footy field uh, to go with his incredible talent that he has uh, to use as well. But I think there's been, um, the fallout is going to keep coming. Uh, and uh, I don't know if you've seen um, the, the press conference from uh, from Trent Robinson, the uh, Roosters coach. Um, it's it, it, it's worth watching. It's twenty thousand dollars worth of of value for uh, for Trent Robinson. He made the the call to go in there knowing that he was going to blow off some steam, uh, and he was going to make sure the uh, size of the loss as well was unemphasised for his uh, Roosters outfit, and put the focus where it should be on a uh, on a nasty hit. But he's been hit for twenty thousand dollars for it. Um, but he he will not regret that one bet that'll be money well spent as far as he's concerned. The club's got a 40k fine as well and uh, and there's still talks about what was said in the tunnel uh, between Jared Warrior Hargreaves and uh, Mitchell as well. So it, it's messy, it's ugly. Uh, Latrell Mitchell's uh, reputation's taken uh, another hit um, but the thing is with these precociously talented people that usually can get uh, buried underneath what is a uh, their skill once they're back but it's an ugly hit between two clubs that legitimately hate each other's guts. Like they don't. It's not like a, a simmering tension. It's a outward um, facing. We really hate each other. It's it, it, this is will always be the case in uh, in athletes going toe to toe. I don't know how much more the NRL could have should have done. I don't think a band of ten weeks for that was, uh, for example, would be um, would be over the top, be overkill. Uh, it's 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 old school rugby league and given a new school punishment. Uh, and Mark Hinton, speaking of reputations and uh, people on the move, etc., Josh Iwani, what have you read into that situation? Not very often key playmakers get released with a year to go. Yeah, very interesting, Smithy, isn't it? Um, I, uh, my read on it is it's a great move for Josh Iwani. He had to get out of Dunedin, as we all know. Um, He's developed a little bit of a reputation down there as um, as an instigator of of their, uh, shall we say, inverted quotes, uh, party culture. Um, um, so he's he's fallen off the radar. You know, he was an All Black not so long ago. Fringe sort of sort of All Black played one test, was well in the mix, very much seen as kind of a third number ten in the picking order, and. Um, his, his career has dipped a little bit, um, and by the sounds of it, uh, Dunedin hasn't been a good place for him, so he needed to get out. And I think the Highlanders realise that, Smithy. Uh, this is a move that's good for everybody, really. I think that the Highlanders probably had, had enough of the young bloke and were ready to move on. 
the Chiefs needed a 10 with Damian McKenzie, um, uh, or a 10 slash 15 with Damian McKenzie's exit uh, for next season. And um, he, he needed a change. He needed a, a new environment to rebuild his reputation and his game. So um, I think it's a win-win all round, uh, uh, and the Highlanders will now be in the market for an, in the market for another playmaker. But that, but you know, all indications are they're ready to move on and, and find someone different. And let's hope Joshua only buckles down, uses this as a chance to 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 get things back on track. Mark Hinton, Sam Ackerman, thanks very much for being a part of the panel this morning. Two uh, very passionate subjects for both those two blokes, a uh, bit of league, bit of rugby. Uh, yeah, and Joshuani, where um, will he end up? Uh, could he be a candidate at some point in the future for Moana Pacifica? But it will be Hamilton, his new base. We'll see if uh, he's learnt some lessons. 10.42 here. Um, calls and texts, uh, keep them coming in. Our greatest subject, actually, we've stumbled onto, this cult figure. Uh, a number of uh, really interesting suggestions have come in so far. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. And it's 10.47. Before 11 o'clock, uh, we'll be talking to Louis Herman Watt. We'll make a visit to the TAB uh, as well. Uh, and then after 11, we've got this uh, fascinating interview uh, with Courtney Duncan. I pre-recorded it uh, just before our show started. Uh, she, of course, is uh, motocross world champion and uh, living the dream out of Palmerston in the South Island. Good story, this. I uh, uh, hope you uh, stay with us and, and uh, just uh, put an ear to it. She's uh, a very interesting young lady. Uh, as of your text been on the subject of cult figures, is uh, some footballing ideas. Ooh-ah, uh, Cantona, Eric Cantona. Uh, drew this, uh, uh, Grant Watermeyer, thanks for that, Grant. Drew Grant into football in the 90s, a total cult figure. Uh, how about Gaza, Paul Gascoigne? Gaza. And not so much for his exploits on the field, although he was a great player. But, uh, of course, Gaza became a cult figure off the field as well. As did George Best, one of the great footballing legends of all time. The Irishman, of course. What did he say? Uh, what have you done with all your money, George? Uh, he said, uh, I've spent it on women, beautiful women, and whiskey, and squandered the rest of it. So, you know, he, you know that was one of his great lines, absolute great lines. Uh, he was a cult figure, George Best. Um, also, uh, what have we got here? The White Mamba, Brian Scalabrini, potentially the greatest post-match championship winning speech of all time. Harrison Marker coming in there. Thanks very much, uh, Harrison. Uh, cult figures, uh, Nick Kyrgios, Norm Berryman, Merv Hughes, Muhammad Ali, certainly. Um, you know, people that uh, were looked up to and looked at for various reasons as well, not just because of what they did. Uh, on their sporting field or tennis court or boxing ring, etc. How about David Boone? Babs, they call him. Baboon, Babs. David Boone. Uh, re his legendary flight drinking 36 cans. Was it only 36? I thought it might have been closer to 50. I think it was closer to like 52. Maybe a record then. Um, they, uh, John from Tokomaru Bay is coming a couple of times this morning. Thanks, John. Uh, pleased to know that you're listening loud and clear down there. Uh, uh, and yes, uh, David Boone. I got a feeling I uh, saw some photos of him. Uh, these are in the days before cell phones, but um, that would have been great, a video of David Boone, but they literally did carry him, carry him off the plane, uh, avoided the press conference, as you did, the uh, Aussies arriving in England for the Ashes, avoided the press conference at all costs, and uh, David Boone woke up, woke up a, a day or two later. Uh, Pukekohe Onion Patch has been uh, mooted here, 
as a possible home ground for Moana Pacifica. Mark Hinton saying uh, it would be out of Lyricson Stadium. No, uh, perhaps the Pukekohe Onion Patch. Interesting. Okay, Louis Herman Watt uh, very shortly, uh, and then a visit to the TAB. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. Louis Herman Watt, uh, as usual at this time of the morning for us. And uh, Louis, uh, exciting times for New Zealand racing. We're in uh, level three outside of Auckland. So we've got progress. We've got a green light. Yeah, we got a green light, Smithy. So tomorrow, Matamata and Ashburton. Then we have got racing at Hawara. We've got racing at Cambridge. We've got racing at Tarapa. We've got the Wanganui Guineas on Saturday. Um, it's fantastic, really. And across the ditch, obviously, they just forge on. So your horse, Elephant, Smithy, the big elephant comes mm. back. And I've actually just, I was just checking some markets then. Um, actually, very well favoured here. So about second favourite depends where you're looking around the Australasia. But right in the betting with Superstorm, Sierra Sioux, um, yeah, really, those are the three three ones that they're coming for in this race and the fair and stakes. Uh, yeah, also Emma Lorena. Uh, has joined the party overseas in Australia for the Tangerine Army. Yes, she has, and she will. She'll win. I think maybe the Bill Ritchie she might go for. I'm not too sure exactly, but she will win a race this spring. She's a great horse, although Jamie always does warn that it is hard for those fillies stepping up to their four-year-old. Yeah, what else is happening this weekend across the ditch? Well, we've got the Chelmsford, so we see the horses like Colding go around in there. The Tramway, this is exciting. Zaki, the Cox Plate favourite, Zaki will return to racing, so that's been backed into three bucks. Punters think it can make a winning return this weekend with Lions who are also lining up there. And your friend, your um, close personal friend, no doubt, I don't actually know that for any fact, but Steve Hansen, he's going to share a nature strip. And Steve Hansen is race, his nature strip comes back at $1.55 favourite in some markets for this weekend in the Concord. Punters will be very familiar with nature strip burning them at odds on odds before, so be wary. Well, we're on first name basis, Steve and I, but that's about as uh, close as we get because I, of course, am in the media uh, and uh, right. we're quite often the enemy in uh, days gone by. Uh, Louis, you're obviously um, not the enemy. Hey, listen, by the way, uh, I just wonder, Jamie Richards, uh, with all the money that's up for grabs in, in spring, do we, we perceive that Jamie will make a visit over there and make a commitment to spend some time in Australia? I actually don't think so, but that's just a gut. That's no. He's got Paul Richards. He's got his dad up in Sydney. He's got Ashley Hanley in Melbourne. They both do superb jobs. The team he empowers his team, and I just I think he might be staying around home. That would be my gut. Okay, thanks very much, uh, Louis Herman. Watch straight across to uh, Brendan Popwell on behalf of the TAB uh, BP. A lot of the sport uh, at the moment uh, is based around the US Open tennis, which has just kicked off. It certainly has, uh, Smithy, and the key game uh, for mine that we want to talk about is Daniel Medvedev, one of the favourites, uh, of course, to take out in the men's uh, final, and uh, he plays around uh, in about two and a half hours' time. I can tell you all the money. You can't back him head-to-head. He's a one, but the money is around the set betting here, a thirty-six uh, to win three loves. So that is where the money is centred at the moment for those that are looking to have their punts into the Tuesday afternoon. And, of course, the Ballarat Synthetic Race Meeting. We have the first two races, a bonus back for punters there. And as we heard there from Louis Herman Watt, all excitement around the domestic racing starting tomorrow 
All races mm. at Ashburton and all races at Matamata have a $10,000 guaranteed first four. When do we see you back on course then, BP? Oh, <laughs> next question, Smithy. Uh, <laughs> stuck in the shoebox for a little <laughs> bit longer anyway. Uh, so, um, yeah, can't wait to get back out there. Yeah, good to see you. Uh, nice to see your face. Uh, back on the screens, uh, TAB trackside, Brendan Popperwell there. Uh, we've got this wonderful interview with Courtney Duncan after 11 o'clock. Uh, 11 o'clock. And then, we, of course, uh, we've got um, the other thing that we're doing, Mount Rushmore, John, that day and I. Cult figures. Keep your texts coming in, 88.33. News time with Trudy. Right, we're heading up to the Northern Hemisphere now. We're two-time defending motocross world champion, Courtney Duncan is currently at, she's the pride of the South from Palmerston, but currently in the UK, I believe, before heading to Turkey for round three of the World Championship uh, this weekend. Hi, Courtney. Thanks very much uh, for joining us. I know it's uh, late in the evening over there. How long have you been away from home? Hey, Norris. Thanks for having me on. Um, I've been away for about nine weeks now, I think, nine or so weeks. So um, it's gone pretty fast, actually, been keeping busy here in the UK, heaps of training and racing and some fun activities like getting to go to Silverstone MotoGP yesterday and, and stuff like that. So it's, time's gone quick. How did you get into motocross way back? Yeah, way back actually. I think I was seven when I first got my bike. Um, my stepdad actually got me a bike and just had a small track behind the house and yeah, just started from there, really escalated pretty quickly and started doing uh, local races and national events and then over to Aussie and then yeah here we are now so what back then your friends would have been doing entirely different things so uh, mm-hmm. you must you must have had a really great love or a great passion for this great from the outset yeah definitely I think they won I knew that it was something that you know really caught my attention and I love to do but actually funny to say it a lot of my mates had bikes at the time like all my school friends had bikes and it's probably the beauty of living and growing up in a royal community and um, most of my fates my friends lived on farms or you know had little lifestyle blocks so yeah we all just rode dirt bikes on Sundays. A long way from Palmerston in the south to London what does team Duncan look like now at the moment? Yeah, so uh, it is a long way. Like you say, I'm over here in uh, yeah Southampton, just one hour south of London, and racing for a British team in the um, Women's World Motocross Championships. So pretty cool racing for the team over here. And um, yeah, that all this side of things is with a pretty small team here. And then obviously back home, I have you know a core group of people that help me out. So yeah, got some you know good people on both sides. So you're defending the, this title, and it began a, a, about a month ago in the Czech Republic. Uh, you couldn't have had a better start winning both races. Yeah, first round started not too bad. I think results-wise, it was um, yeah, it couldn't have gone any better. One-one, but still, I think my performance was yeah, not quite where I wanted to be. But I guess just that first race, you know, nerves and jitters and, and figuring things out, and then. Round two was in the deep sand, so we knew that one would be tough. Um, just had to manage what we could and make the most out of, you know, pretty tough weekend, but uh, lost the championship 
lead there, but yeah, we've still got four rounds and we're sitting pretty good. So how uh, Belgium didn't go so good uh, for you. So, uh, but overall, your career stats mm -hmm. are simply amazing here. Uh, after five years on the circuit, you finished on the podium three quarters of your races. That is a mm -hmm. staggering uh, success rate, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. I, I saw um, after Lockett a couple of stats come up and made me think that yeah, it's pretty cool to have yeah some some good wins there and some good GP overall victories and um, yeah, I don't usually chase the stats and I don't really look at them very often. But no, it's definitely cool to you know check in with where we're at and hopefully got some more to add to it in the years to come. It's incredibly um, like most sports, incredibly competitive. Mm -hmm. But from the outset. I mean, the start is so integral because you're on a, a long, long line. It's and you know you're heading for that first particular mm. obstacle. I mean, tell us, tell us a wee bit about the fear factor involved there because um, you know that looks quite dangerous, to be honest. From the outside in, it it probably does look dangerous. You're right, um, and I guess it can, can be. It just depends the way you look at it, but. I think we've all been doing it for so long, we kind of know how it works. But like you said, the start is key. It's important. And I feel like we've we've got those down pat this year. We've really stepped up our game compared to last year. So good starts have been helping me out. Um, just puts you out of – it puts you out of the rubbish, really, and it sets you up for a good race, keeps you out of trouble. Um, it's much safer when you got, you know, a lead and you can kind of set your own pace instead of having to come through the pack. You have a bit more risk for reward there. So, um, yeah, starts have been good. Hopefully we can keep them up. Injuries? What about injuries? What's your worst injury over the years? Um, yeah, I've had quite a few. I feel like I've had my fair share, but then I guess it depends if you look at how long I've been doing it. I probably haven't had too many, um, but I have had a few you know, serious injuries as far as ACL in the knee. Um, I think I've ruptured that two on each side. So they've probably been the, the biggest injuries I've had to this point. And, yeah, hopefully I've done with the injuries. Um, this kind of race is all about acceleration and, and elevation, really, because you get to – how fast do you go? How high can you climb? What, what's the power of your bike? Yeah, so racing the KX250, so um, yeah, they're pretty quick bikes. I don't exactly know what speeds we get up to. It's nothing, you know, crazy, especially after going to watch the MotoGP yesterday at Silverstone. Those guys rack up some speeds, but um, we've got quite a bit more um, technology, I guess, to it. Um, line choices are a big one in our sport, and setting up passes and um a lot of bike control throttle control and, and technique really comes into play but yeah i'm not sure how how fast we get up to but we can you know hit some pretty big jumps as well like i think some of our jumps can be 100 foot or so so um get a bit of your time so and the ability to pass sometimes i guess comes out of how you react to uh, coming out of those elevations is that true how, how you can accelerate out of them yeah, for sure. I think it's, yeah, you can set up passes yeah, really by line choices is a big one as well. And, you know, under-breaking them, late-breaking them, carrying speed into entry of corners and, um, yeah, getting on the on the gas a little bit early and, yeah, setting up passes 
through not necessarily that corner but coming back two or three corners before you sometimes setting up passes you know as early as that so um yeah there's a lot that comes into racing and from the outside you probably don't realize but um yeah it's it's pretty difficult sports pretty um technical which is what makes it fun you know you can always be better and you're always looking for ways to improve how many women involved in the circuit yeah heaps actually i think at Lockheed and loma we had 50 plus entries at a world cup so we're qualifying for races um which is good it's good to see the sport you know getting bigger and bigger so hopefully um can continue on that rise so what, what kind of profile has it got in the uk uh, yeah, motocross is pretty big in the UK. Um, yeah, I mean, tracks are open during the weeks and you get, you know, a lot of riders during the week even at the tracks. So it's obviously on the northern hemisphere, it's a lot bigger than New Zealand. Can you make a quit out of it? I mean, is, is, it, is it financial? I mean, yeah, I guess so. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to do it right. <laughs> I'm 25 now, so um, I guess if it's not your job, you can't just do it for, you know, just the love of it. But, um, yeah. What's uh, what's Europe like COVID-wise now, travelling traveling around? What are the protocols around your particular sport? A lot better than New Zealand, let's put it that way. Um, we're still getting on with life over here. I mean, it's it's been 18 months now, and it's something that we just have to live with, I think, and... I think Europe are kind of demonstrating a pretty good, pretty good job at that. Like everything's back running, um, life's near normal. Obviously, you have restrictions and stuff, and you, you know you're wearing masks if, if needed, and um, you're still obviously you know precautious. But as far as you know, all live sports are back playing, crowds are back doing their thing, everyone's back in their jobs, and um, yeah, life's going on. So. Yeah, to answer your question, yeah, it's good. When do, you, when do you anticipate getting home, if you can? At this stage, I have no spot in MIQ, so um, it's frustrating to know that potentially I won't be able to come home to my country back to New Zealand this year because there's no spot for me, but I'll keep trying and hopefully can get home Yeah, whenever a spot opens up. Well, there's a big push over here that uh, perhaps athletes who are representing New Zealand or doing their thing over there should get some kind of preference or some kind of perhaps facility specifically mm -hmm. for sporting people returning home. What will your thoughts be about that that kind of thing? Yeah, 100%. Like, I mean, we're, we're over here representing our country and we're doing it for our country and you know, continuing to fly the flag for us. I mean, if we were not helping us Kiwis get home, we'll have no sporting athletes on the world stage. And, I mean, look at New Zealand. That is a big part of New Zealand is sport and, you know, how we succeed on that world stage. And, um, I mean, I'm super proud to come from New Zealand and love nothing more than listening to the anthem play. So um, hopefully, you know, things can open up and we can definitely help get our sporting athletes home. Courtney, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Actually, very enlightening. Um, it's not a sport that I know a heck of a lot about until uh, we did some research on it, but uh, you're certainly at the top of the ladder. Do you feel the pressure of people, you know, do you feel the pressure of, of being a very highly ranked uh, uh, current champion? Uh, not really, to be fair. Um, just kind of staying humble and, and keeping it was it like it was back in the day and, um, 
yeah, I'm kind of like everyone's the same. You treat everyone the same. So, yeah, no, it's good. I'd rather have the pressure of um, being a champion and winning races than, you know, coming back in the back of the field. So um, I don't feel any pressure, not, not too much more than, you know, the years prior. Oh, you're having a great time uh, living your life dream. I think that's the main thing. And, um, you know, you're, you're very good at it. Uh, congratulations. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much for giving us some of your time. And all the best for the rest of the season, eh? Awesome. Thanks so much. Take care. And gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, fascinating young lady uh, is Courtney. And, uh, of course, pursuing her dream very successfully. Got great reputation in motocross the and uh, interesting to hear it's so popular over there in the UK. In fact, uh, it goes on the back of what? Speedway. Speedway used to be huge, and uh, the New Zealanders used to go over there, Barry Briggs, Ivan Major, etc., uh, Ronnie Moore, and compete in uh, World Speedway. Gee, that seems like uh, forever ago, but uh, certainly she's uh, following the same path there and finding it a little bit tough to get home like a lot of people, John. And it's adding more weight to this uh, theory about a sports, a de designated sports facility, uh, for our returning sports heroes, competitors uh, in, in New Zealand, which would take uh, the asset, I guess, off uh, um, the man in the street and, and his family returning home, would take uh, pressure off those positions. But then again, would it be regarded as elitist? Would, would it be, be a, the negative connotations around it as well if they came up with a facility like that? Yeah, I, I thought Courtney put up a pretty good argument there, Smithy, she's flying the flag for New Zealand, literally. Like, when she wins, she's literally flying the flag for New Zealand and the anthem plays. So she's doing great work for this country. And when you're locked down, um, I think I can speak for a lot of Aucklanders, we've got a long lockdown coming ahead. It's sport that really keeps your spirits high. It's thank God for the US Tennis Open at the moment. Thank God for New Zealanders doing well on the global stage. And uh, I think we should make an effort. To, to get them a spot in MIQ. Like, she doesn't know when she's going to get home. She's already been on the road for nine weeks. There's two more months left in the season. So by the end of this, she could be five, six months away from home and only just doing what she wants to like. It's her job, sure. But she's doing New Zealand a, a great service, I think, by the work that she's doing um, winning motocross events. So I think that something should be done, Smithy, and I think you're probably right. The fairest way would be to get... Uh, a facility for sports people. Um, it seems like the All Blacks have got a hell of a lot of spaces. They've got sixty odd spaces. They just is it easier for them because they're such a big organisation. Whereas Courtney's by herself, just one athlete overseas. How does it work there? I would say that it's absolutely the case. They might deny it till the cows come home, but I would imagine that uh, the All Blacks do uh, carry some extra weight. And uh, is it rightfully so? I mean, they are our our national sporting team. They are the guys. Uh, under the most pressure to perform, uh, should that be the case? Um, there'll, there'll be a lot of people that argue against that. As I said before, and I've often said, whilst we're a sports station, we focus 90% on sport, probably 95% on sport. It's not everyone's cup of tea in this country. In fact, uh, it's way down the list uh, for people who are suffering because of COVID at home, can't get their businesses up and running, etc. Uh, hell, right now uh, there are people bucketing out their homes in West Auckland. Uh, sport is uh, the furthest thing from their mind um, and, and even if they are you know avid su supporters they're just not thinking about it at the moment the possibility of of watching sports seems a long way off sport uh, possibility of trying to find somewhere dry to live and to set up base is for a lot of people in West Auckland so it, 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 in the scheme of things it's big for us because that's where our focus on the station but it isn't necessarily the case 
for a lot of people. And I go back to the point would um, the average people, you know, the people that aren't interested in sport, they have a passing interest in sport who are affected by COVID and getting people home or getting places back in MIQ, would they regard that as being exceptional or elitist? Um, I think there would be a school of thought that says that would be the case. Yeah, you make great points, Smithy. There are bigger things in the world than sport, and I guess uh, Courtney's just doubly frustrated because she's over in the UK and they're living life normally with COVID, whereas we're going elimination strategy, and it means like a lot of people want to get home and uh, into MIQ, and it just imagine just waiting, just not knowing when you're going to get home, and you just got your mouse and you're just hovering over that spot trying to get it missing out. It would make you really frustrated, but I, I get your points, and I think you made them quite well there, Smithy. Uh, thank you, John. Uh, look, on the playing arena side of things, um, we can tell you that uh, Andy Murray is fighting hard. It has gone into the fifth set, but he is a service game down. So Tsitsipas is serving for 5-3 uh, to go on and perhaps win that. Uh, Andy Murray's fighting really, really tough. He's out on his feet, but he does uh, not give up. And even though he's had injury problems, etc., it's on the comeback trail. He, he would never, ever uh, be able uh, to give up, speaking of uh, not giving up, our Paralympics, absolutely superb, uh, but not the happiest of nights for Sophie Pascoe. Yeah, you would have seen the time before me, and uh, yeah, I'm not going to lie, it was a really tough time to take in. Um, I have never swum slower in a Paralympic final uh, before, but it was a gutsy effort in the last 25, and that's all I could have asked for of myself. Obviously, I went out in a world-class 50 time, um, which goes to show that I, I had it over the first 75 and the girls just came back at me um, in, that, in that last 25, which is, you know, that goes to show what I've done over the past year uh, that proved what I did in the water over the past year. So, look, I'm I'm just proud of myself for gutsing it out, listening to Matt and thinking about, you know, keeping the kick um, compact and just keeping the stroke rate up. That's all I could have done. So... Tough race, um, but proud to get on the podium. That's all I wanted out of this event. Um, first ever bronze medal um, from a Paralympic Games, so a new colour to add to the collection. Um, but yeah, we're calling this one rose. <laughs> um, yeah, so look, I mean, looking back on the right, I couldn't have asked anything more. I mean, if, I don't know if you saw me at the end of the race, but it. I was buggered, so. Yeah, putting a brave face on it was uh, Sophie Pascoe. That, uh, Sophie Pascoe, after last night's bronze medal, um, you could tell, though, if you read between the lines, you could hear it in her voice that she was disappointed and maybe just mildly surprised at, at the fact that uh, her lead was cut down in the fashion that it was. However, back in the pool this afternoon, 1.43pm, Sophie Pascoe in the women's 100 freestyle S9 heat number three, if she qualifies, and we assume that she will, uh, 10.14 tonight uh, is her chance to go from bronze back to her more familiar gold. John, but a much better story uh, for Michael Steadman, who uh, was sixth, I think, going into his final jump in the long jump uh, and came up with something exceptionally special just when he had to. A bit overwhelmed. Uh, there was a massive roller coaster of a competition, you know. Um, yeah, I, I still, still don't think it has sunk in quite yet from like those last three rounds it was a real mental battle because I was like man I'm jumping 30 centimetres off my PB it's not going well and then I just gave that last jump everything and I thought it was a bad jump I was like oh man that's it and then I saw the 564 slash up on the screen I was like whoa um, so no I'm feeling really elated uh, but just 
doesn't don't think I sunk in yet. But I'm really glad I got that last one out there. I mean, I've had a, a bit of a stress fracture the last few months, so to be able to, um, and we've had to like, modify training a little bit. So yeah, I'm really stoked to come out and get this. And a big shout out to George and uh, Simeon, my two coaches. They've um, you know worked so hard to get me in the shape to medal here. Yeah, humblest of apologies here. It's uh, William Steadman, of course, not Michael Steadman. I must have my brother on my mind. But yeah, and uh, he, of course, is unique in, in that his own right. But like Carl Lewis, the able-bodied Carl Lewis, who was a champion in his right, uh, he goes for uh, the long jump 400 double, um, which is uh, quite a, an achievement, isn't it? Really tough. That, that's a huge event. That's amazing, eh? Like, incredible. Um, he was chosen as, they weren't flag bearers, were they, um, with Sophie? Uh, they were, like, team leaders, uh, William Steadman. I hadn't mm. heard of William Steadman before, even though he had won two bronzes at Rio as a 16-year-old. So now I'm starting to learn about him. A long jumper, a 400 metres and 200. Uh, if you ever talk to anyone in athletics, Smithy, they reckon 400 is right up there in the one of the toughest events you can possibly do, sprinting all out for 400 metres. Um, I guess they go hand in hand, sprinting and long jump, long jump. So good luck to him. He's in action this afternoon again. Yeah, he is. Um, and we, we wish him all the best there. We'll keep an eye on his start times. Uh, 2.20 uh, is the scheduled final for that. Uh, so uh, we'll look uh, for William Steadman in that particular event. And news coming through of a couple of high-profile Wellington sports people, John, uh, misbehaving and uh, letting themselves down in lockdown for... I mean, you just can't afford to do it, really, but you can't afford to do it if you've got profile and get caught. Oh, absolutely. Just idiotic behaviour. Duplicy Karifi, the face of social media when it comes to Wellington rugby, telling people to re- uh, respect Level 4 lockdown rules, um, saying, like, stay safe, everyone, in these little videos that go on social media. And meantime, he's with his partner, who's a up-and-coming netballer, Mila Riulu Buchanan, and they're hosting a party and then going out to a party. So say one thing and doing another. This is just totally idiotic. And I know they've slapped a lot of fines on people. Um, this lockdown, I think it's over a thousand New Zealand police. So I hope they have caught up with uh, these two and slapped them with a pretty big fine, Smithy. I would be totally for that because everyone's got to be accountable, even if you are um, high profile sports people, especially if you're high profile sports people. Yeah, don't sit on the fence on that one, John. You, you get off and say what you really think. Uh, some texts have come in, 8833. Uh, Smithy, players playing for Moana team still eligible for the All Blacks. This would assist uh, with some big-name recruiting. Totally agree, and I totally agree they should be. Um, and, and that will, uh, of course... Uh, not, I mean, Michael Jones is an interesting situation himself. He's got a b- very brilliantly talented young son by the name of Nico Jones. Which direction would uh, he be pushing him in? Uh, are currently signed with the Blues. Cult legend Jonah, surely the biggest in rugby, or is he a more superstar with the trademark 11 uh, into the eyebrow? No one will ever forget uh, Jonah Lomu. I think he, he fits a lot of bills, really, but certainly uh, he was a cult figure in that because of what he, he brought to the game and, and, of course, his life after rugby as well, uh, curtailed due to illness. Very, very sad indeed. Michael Jones. So Michael Jones, a fantastic rugby man. Cheers. Uh, that's from Anthony. Uh, Chase from uh, Waioku says, wouldn't having a sporting mic, uh, MIQ open up, more spaces for every New Zealander, so therefore get more Kiwis back in the country. Uh, that's the other side to the story, Chase. Totally agree with you. Uh, the Olympic, uh, says Yvonne, the Olympic or any other team should not be treated differently than individuals. Paul Cole, Courtney Duncan are participating in sports that aren't at the Olympics. They should have just the same entitlement to MIQ spots as the Olympians. 
Thank you very much, uh, Yvonne. Time to stump Smithy. Maybe, Yvonne, you'd like to have a go. Uh, call 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811. Stump Smithy time. And then after that, uh, we will have our Mount Rushmore. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Stumped by Smithy time, your chance to win 50 bucks thanks to the TAB. I give you three sporting categories. You choose one, then get three questions right, and you are a winner. But get one wrong, and Smithy can stump you. And on the line, we have got Jordan from Auckland. G'day, Jordan. Are you safe and dry? Uh, yeah, I'm out and about working, essential worker. Yeah, how's it going in this weather, man? That lightning and thunder came in last night and it just hasn't really stopped. That's right, yeah, it's uh, pretty windy and cold out in Auckland at the moment. Sure, as a lot of New Zealand would say, we deserve it. So we'll take that on the chin, but uh, you could win 50 bucks here. Today, uh, your sports are cricket, golf and boxing. Which one are you going to go for? I'll go for golf. Golf, nice. A strong suit of Smithy, so good luck to you. Right, Jordan. Your first question. Tiger Woods has won 15 major championships. How many times has he won the Masters? Um, say five times. Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot, and away it goes. Five green jackets. It looked like it was going to be a lot more than that, Smithy. Um, but he did get one recently. Now, see, Jack Nicholas has been quoted too as saying that uh, he doesn't believe his career is over. It's a long way back in terms of rehabilitation. I think he's still on crutches, actually, Tiger. But um, Jack Nicholas said uh, he looks deeper into that, into the spirit of the guy and his determination. He hasn't given up on it, and maybe he can get to major number 16 at some point. Excellent. That was good work from you, Jordan. I wouldn't have got that right, but I write the quiz, so I probably would have, actually. Sir Bob Charles became the first left-hander to win a golfing major, New Zealand Sir Bob Charles, when he won the British Open in 1963. On which course did he accomplish this feat? Um. How are you with your British golf courses? No idea. I'll have to have a stab. Uh, Royal um, lesson. There he goes! All the way! Up into the stand! One ahead in the first tier! That's hitting a cricket ball! Holy moly! Royal Lytham in St Anne's in Lancashire, England, Smithy. That is one hell of a guess from Jordan. Well, it's all over that too. Absolutely oh. all over that. I, had that. I did have that one covered because it was such a remarkable achievement. Um, for Sir Bob Charles, but oh man, it's got me there. It absolutely got me there. I'm doomed. I'm doomed. That is good work from you, Jordan. Well done. Good work in the memory banks. Final question to get that $50 from the TAB. In stroke play, what is the penalty when a player hits a putt from the green and the ball strikes another player's ball on the putting surface? Is that, I didn't realise it was a penalty. Um, oh, one strike. One of the worst things I have ever seen 
done on a cricket field. Not correct. You see it in mini golf all the time, balls colliding into each other on the putting surface. Um, Smithy, how many penalty strokes if you hit someone else's ball while putting? Well, actually, I don't not sure that there is a penalty stroke for this, uh, and I'm not sure who the penalty is against. Is it against the guy playing the shot, or is it the guy whose ball is on the green and should have marked it? Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to say no penalty. Uh, it's either none or two. I'm going to say no penalties. No, what I had was two strokes. But shouldn't you lift your ball up, uh, and so your ball shouldn't even be on the putting green if someone else is putting? Well, you know, it's up to you. Um, what could happen is you might have played out of a bunker, for instance. You might be raking the bunker, and the other bloke wants to come in and putt, and he uh, is a little bit offline and hits your ball. Um, yep. But generally speaking, players are hovering around, and it's marked. So uh, it's crazy. one of the crazy rules, actually. I think it's a crazy rule of golf, and a nonsensical one, and there, there are plenty of them. Don't you worry about that. Absolutely. You're not wrong. And Jordan, that means you win anyway. 50 bucks from the TAB. So congratulations. Stay on the line and give us your details. Okay. And Smithy, I've been looking yeah. forward to this all morning now. Time for Mount Rushmore after the ads and our top four cult heroes in sport. Looking forward to this. And the, there are a hell of a lot to choose from, John. A hell of a lot to choose from. So uh, just by the by, outside of Auckland, uh, you've got uh, level three golf coming up uh, from, I think, uh, Wednesday morning or tomorrow morning onwards. So uh, that means you can only play golf uh, with someone that's in your bubble. So at the moment, I haven't even got a dog to play with and the wife don't play either. So it's going to be lonely out there. But I think I have to go for therapeutic reasons. Uh, Andy Murray might have to go and see his uh, psychologist for therapeutic reasons. <laughs> He's gone off here. He's gone absolutely off. But he fought all the way, lost in five sets. Um, but not a happy camper. He never was a great loser, and uh, that's one of those things he's retained, even through his comeback from injury. Hates losing, does Andy. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yes, Jimi Hendrix there and the Star Spangled Banner and that of course is the sign that uh, John Day and I are now going into uh, a thing called Mount Rushmore where we uh, highlight four people, places, things, venues. Uh, This time it's uh, four each of cult figures in sport. Uh, And my number four is an all-time cult figure for me. Babe's number one, there's no question. He was one of the very greatest hitters ever. 1932 series is Babe's last, yet it produces his greatest moment. Babe Ruth in 1932 either did or did not call his shot off Charlie Root. Yeah. Oh, what a moment. Brilliant. Absolutely. Uh, That, of course, is Babe Ruth. Uh, who pointed to a spot in the distance and then hit a home run exactly where that spot was. And people still emulate that uh, in their own forms of baseball around America. Uh, This is George Herman Ruth we're talking about. Nicknames included Babe, Bam, Jack Dunn's Baby, Jidge, Sultan of Swat, the Behemoth of Bust, the Big Man, the Great Bambino. He was the greatest slugger of all time and he's still... He still has, uh, he hit 714 home runs and the number three shirt for the Yankees. He played for the Sox, the Yankees, the Braves. Uh, they retired the, the number three shirt, the Yankees. 
a true cult figure of baseball, one of the most popular sports in the world. Great choice, Smithy. Like, even as a kid, like, we didn't have baseball, we didn't have ESPN when I was a little kid, but you knew that point move. Like, if you were playing cricket, even, back, backyard cricket, you were pointing to the boundary and then looking to hit a six. Like, that's how universal and massive the cult following that Babe Ruth had. So, great choice so far. Yeah, Sandlot Kids. If you want to see a movie during lockdown, get yes. a movie called The Sandlot Kids. Just fantastic. Uh, sit down and watch it with your kids. It is amazing, but it's a great movie for adults, I promise you as well. And The Babe, The Babe is part of that. Uh, number three for me is also a very interesting man. Not an enormous jump, not by any standards, but it's 71. That's a British record. You've seen it here. He's made it as a ski jumper. He's made it as a ski jumper, yeah, but in a very embarrassing fashion, to be fair. Uh, that is uh, Michael Edwards, a.k.a. Eddie the Eagle. Now, they made movies about the, the ability that he could, uh, about the fact that he had no ability when it came to the ski jump, but he did make uh, the great British uh, uh, Winter Olympics team. Um, they hadn't had a, a competitor in the ski jump since 1928. Uh, he competed in 1988, so six, uh, six year, uh, 60 years later, he was just awful completely awful when it came to it. He was so far behind everyone else uh, that it became a bit of a joke, really, and it became a bit of a saying, if you're that bad at something, you were Eddie the Eagle. Um, he, he's now, well, he, after that, he, he retired, and then he became <coughs> a stunt-jumping world record holder. Johnny jumped over six buses. So uh, that is Eddie the Eagle. Eddie the Eagle, uh, one, of, one of the most famous... Uh, sporting figures um, in, in Great Britain for being useless at yeah. what he did. But yeah. still got to the Winter Olympics. <laughs> he still got there and represented his country and achieved a goal. Eddie the Eagle. Yeah, jumped 70 metres, and I think the winner jumped well over 100. So it was quite laughable. And, of course, that gave birth to Eric the Eel as well, a guy who had mm. never, ever swam. I think he was from landlocked Africa, never seen a pool until he got to the Olympics. So he opened the door, Smithy. I'm not sure whether it was good or bad. Opened the door to Joe Bloggs uh, to get into the Olympics. So great choice again. I've often talked about uh, my next one as my favourite female athlete in the whole of sport. Uh, it doesn't please a lot of females, um, but it should because this is a true cult figure in my life in particular. Here's Wings moving up on the outside and Kevin's clear from Wings getting into her work now. She went straight past Kevin Tari today, but Wings moves up now at the 150. It gets going late, but Wings is edging clear for a world record of 17 group ones and Wings wins it by three quarters. Went on to win 33 in a row, Wings, before she was retired. Four Cox plates. I was lucky enough uh, to be at the third Cox Plate. I thought that would be her lot, winning three, but she en ended up winning uh, the one in the following year, went with my sons. Um, and look, I, I realised right at that point that Winks, as the horse, was a cult figure of racing in Australia, huge industry over there. They've had some great champions, but not necessarily ones that in the modern era of racing would bring people to the track of all ages wearing blue. Uh, kids were dressed up in, in Huey Bowman's colours. Uh, look, it was just be a beautiful thing to witness, John <coughs> Winks. Uh, undoubtedly for me, a cult figure um, and meant so much to racing and, and uh, no, no problem with me for being number two. Uh, and I'm going to stay in Australia for my number one. Off only two or three paces, he bowls and Gatting is taken on the pace, bowls! Well, Gatting's still standing there, he can't believe it, but that must have turned. 
a very long way. We haven't got a view of this, but it took his off stump. Gatting can't believe it. That is Shane Warne's first delivery in a test match in England. He's comprehensively bowled Mike Gatting. Yeah, well, Jonathan Agnew there is the commentator, wonderful uh, BBC commentator, but uh, he was talking about the ball uh, that rocked the world, really, the, the leg spin delivery that uh, absolutely bamboozled Mike Gatting, who at the time I think was the English captain. Uh, fair player, a good player of spin too, actually, but absolutely did for him. Shane Warne, Shane Keith Warne. Uh, an absolute cult figure, not just uh, for the fact that he's probably the greatest bowler of all time. Uh, a lot of Sri Lankan people will argue with me there. I'll argue over quite a lot of uh, exports that I really believe Shane Warne is the best bowler of all time. However, it's not just for that that I say he's a cult figure. He brought leg spinning back into vogue. Um, but the only other thing is, is life has been so absolutely blokey, hasn't it? I mean, he's the quintessential blokes bloke. Um, you know, Liz Hurley, models. Um, all sorts of associations with, you know, with uh, escorts over the years. Um, you know, he's kicked out of cricket because he was taking diet pills. Uh, he's, he's bottled gin. There's perfume. They're talking about a movie about Warney, Warney, the chanting that goes around all the sports grounds in Australia when he's there, and it still goes on when they see him uh, as a commentator. Undoubtedly, my number one in uh, the experiences I've had in life, Shane Warne. Yeah. Good luck, John, beating that lot. Good no, luck. I will not beat that lot, Smithy. Um, mine will be more kind of grassroots. I mean, you've got some of the biggest names, apart from Eddie the Eagle. Uh, you've got some, like, I'm not going to beat Shane Warne and Winks and Babe Ruth, but I'm going to start with this one, my number four. Ocasini! 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 Three times Ocasini. How good was Hytro Ocasini? For the DB Bitter Warriors in 1995, massive cult hero, uh, was a hooker. Uh, John Money asked him to play prop, and so he got out there with his long hair and just Rabs Warren yelling out, Ocasini was just huge when I was a kid. People would jump off the playground yelling Ocasini. Just his name was everywhere. It's just a fun name to say. So Hytro Ocasini, number four for me. That's where my audio will end, Smithy. Uh, John Daly, I've got his number three. A bit like Shane Warne. But not the world's best. Uh, Warney can say he's the best bowler in the world ever. John Daly, not quite, but he did have his moments. And, you know, smoking, drinking, getting up to no good. But he was just had a massive cult following because it was that thing, Smithy, of like, I drink, I smoke. Maybe I could hit a golf ball a long way and win a, a major. <laughs> so just had that kind of appeal to him. I <laughs> loved watching John Daly. Like John Daly for his outfits as well. Remember the fashion yes. that he brought into golf, the colourful trousers, the colourful shirts, etc. Uh, I, I go with John Daly. I'd have picked John Daly, very close to my top four. An absolute cult figure. Yeah, and speaking of colourful, number two, Dennis Rodman. Uh, for the Chicago oh. Bulls, you know, Michael Jordan yep. was the superstar, Scotty Pippen not far behind, and then there was this crazy dude with crazy hairdos who dated hot women, went to Las Vegas during the playoffs to go, you know, on a wee vacation. Uh, just amazing, just bigger than the game, a loose unit. Uh, went to North Korea, <laughs> the only American mm. to go to North Korea. I mean, this guy's amazing. So number two for me, Dennis Rodman, and number one, had to be. Biggest cult hero in New Zealand sporting history should be the world. Wayne Buck Shelford, Smithy. Bring back Buck. I would not be surprised if you still see a sign at a random game somewhere saying, bring back Buck. He was just more than an all-black, wasn't he? He was an absolute cult uh, hero. So for me, Buck Shelford, number one. And what's interesting for me, John, is that uh, Buck Shelford, we now know, is on uh, Celebrity Treasure Island very shortly. I think it's Celebrity Treasure Island. Is that what they call it? The question is, if he wins it, that'll be fine. But if he gets eliminated early, will there be signs going around the world 
bring back Buck. Bring back Buck to Celebrity Treasure Island. I hope so. That'll be the key thing for me. Adds an Great contest this morning, John. Yep, it's uh, 11.53. Uh, we'll take a short break, and when we come back, another cult figure, Mark Stafford. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, it's just about time to hand over the reins to Mark Stafford. And Staffy, I know you'll have a cult figure. We've got about 90 seconds. Uh, I don't know if you can tell us his life story, but uh, I've got to say he's green and white. There you go. I could have given you five green and white, Smithy, but in the last five minutes, I've jotted down five that just sprung to mind, okay? Peter Snakebite Wright from the darts world. Arnold Palmer, the first cult hero that golf ever saw. Manu Vatavai from the Warriors, a massive cult hero. Grant Batty, five foot two, all black. And my number one, Smithy, is from your code, Dennis Lilly. Headband, hairy Ooh. chest, medallion, loved him. Nicknamed Fott, staff, nicknamed Fott, because they reckon he was full of trash. But he could bowl, <laughs> I can tell you that. Uh, anyway, moving, moving along, moving along, any of those... Any of those blokes on your, on your show this afternoon? <laughs> no, I couldn't get through to all of them. Uh, this afternoon, Rob Nickel from Players Association about this uh, new Pacific rugby thing. Uh, Brett Phillips on the tennis. Bill Harrigan, former NRL referee, will be joining us. Victor Waters, a Premier League correspondent. And out of the black caps, we're talking to Toey, Henry Nichols. Fantastic. Fantastic, staff. Okay, that's us uh, for this uh, Tuesday. Cult figure Trudy with the news very shortly. Uh, Brian's been outstanding again. And John, there is no penalties for hitting someone's ball on the green. Get it together, boy. (laughs) Good afternoon. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91.